0: we
1: to episode 126 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that are released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 50 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and found ourselves spinning, spinning, always spinning through those forgotten worlds, <laughs> fancying a pack of Chewits in the muncher and waggled our way to purest burl in para-assault course. This week we conclude our look at the games in June 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, we are halfway through the year. Have things improved at all this week? In this exciting episode where we verify if the faces
0: of loved ones do indeed illuminate around specific types of chocolate containers... We head to the steel arenas of the future with a spiked gauntlet and a knee pad as we hurl some heavy balls into slots in the smash-em-up sport of speedball. We explore how much eye strain we can physically endure in the eye-popping puzzler Titan and skip and jump into our green ghost-killing suits and head to a 90s nightclub for some monster mayhem in the perspectively challenging world of the real Ghostbusters. Turns out it's true. Pushing a golden box containing chocolate confectionery under the visage of a significant other does indeed increase the specularity of their face. Crazy. While we validate those results, we also head to some more pipe mazes and troubles in the infuriating and interesting... Octoplex, jump on our stunt bikes, jet skis, cars, submarines and all sorts in the crazy stunt-filled film world of the Danger Freak before finally grabbing our knapsacks, iron saws, hit points, character sheets and funny dice as we head on a dull adventure to nowhere for no reason whatsoever in the D&D-ish Hillsfar. Okay, I admit we finally might have a good future sports game. This is not a drill. I repeat, this is not a drill. Statistically...
1: Or actually, <laughs> I don't know. Just give me the mode, <laughs> medium, and mean. <laughs> I want all three. I want a report on my desk by nine in the morning. Get on it.
0: <laughs> it won't take long to write. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, mostly crap. Um, it's like the worst weather ever, isn't it?
1: Why is this paper brown? <laughs> it's not
0: paper. That's not paper. It's the worst weather forecast ever. It's just, it, but it is the British weather forecast. The way I've noticed, there's a perfect alignment as we head towards summer everything still remains quite crappy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As we come out of summer, still a bit crap. Yeah, occasional sunny spells, but mostly rain. <laughs> mostly, mostly grey, grey born. It is. Well, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, if you wish to support us, I'm going to put this up at the front. You can join our Patreon if you wish to do that. That's patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Do it. Do it. There's lots of good things on there. You get the episodes early. You get them ad-free now. And you can do all that for the price, less than the price of a pint of beer because of the crazy prices we live in these days. So um, you can buy us a Kofi at Kofi.com forward slash Zap to the Past. You can buy some cool merch at ZapToThePast.shop where you could get a t-shirt with Mr. Miyagi on or I don't actually know if we've got a t-shirt with Lord Humongous on. If we don't, we should have one. There have is we got- one. There is one. You can of course get, there look, is. You can walk around with Lord Humongous all you want. You can just, you know, just walk around. Just walk around. <laughs> Just walk around. With loads Just of you walk us. around.
0: I might put that on it. Just walk around.
1: Just walk around. Yes, oh. um, so you can do all that. Alternatively, you know, follow us on Twitter and all that kind of stuff as well and give us a tweet out or whatever. That's always nice. Yeah, share. Like us. Tell us we're cool. We like that. Nice. <laughs> we do. We do. Because we're 50-year-old men and we don't get told that very often these days. Oh, <laughs>
0: From now on, I'd be requiring air nets.
1: We'll <laughs> be dancing for hours. <laughs> Anyway, should we get on with some games? After all That's that, the plan. after all that blowing of our own trumpets, let's yes. get on to our games. We've got six this week, so let's get into them. And Graham, that first one is all yours, and it's about fast spherical objects, <laughs> or as otherwise known as speedball. <laughs> Neutralize the electro
0: scan. <laughs> it, it, yes, it is. It is speedball. nine ninety nine. this was. 90%. Wow. All the nines. It was a sizzler as well. It was. The publisher was actually Imageworks. It was copyright Mirrorsoft. Bit of a complicated arrangement around that. The conversion was mm. Pantheon Software, and the game was devised really by the Bitmap Brothers. Make it that way, you will. Yeah. Yeah, so this is that's the direction it's come from actually 16 bits to 8 bit. Uh this was coded by Andrew Bowen. Um he does a few games but they're all in the future so we can't talk about them yet. Oh, the graphics are by Sam Mohable. Um he did 19 part 1 and something called Slug which was not in Zap. So something that's you no know, it's not in the Z- pages of Zap. Zap didn't review it. And of course, the that's musician fine. here is the man of a thousand loops. That's Dave Whitaker. <laughs> Do you know I did a little bit of investigating there's 103 games listed on HSV, HSVSC for Dave Whitaker. 10 of which have the main themes that are three minutes or over, only 10. 40 are 60 seconds or under.
1: Yeah. How yes. crazy is that? We like that.
0: Um, I mean, that doesn't include all the tunes in the games. That's just the like the the main one listed on the thing. But that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, 103 yeah. games he's done, mostly short, mostly short loops. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, kind of other. I suppose it's the other kind of Bitmap Brothers launch game, really. Between this and the one that we spoke about in the last episode, really isn't it? Between this and
1: Xenon, Xenon, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and oddly, this is the other one that was better than its sequel. Strangely. Um, but this mm. time, of course, we have Speedball, which is oddly, and according to the Bitmap Brothers Universe book, that is not easy to say that. The Bitmap Brothers Universe book, or maybe it is. From um, those marvelous people at Read the Memory, this game began life as a rejected Mastertronic tennis game. How random is that? But thanks Weird. to some rejections, some shenanigans, and some good old fashioned magic, and some back of the cigarette <laughs> packet design, a tennis sim was transformed into a battle game blend of Tekken World Cup, Technos Super Dodgeball, and pinball; those were the three driving influences for what we know today as speedball. Mm. And I suppose, in all fairness, by this point, the bitmaps were kind of bringing the rock star a little bit to game developers—kind of the vanguard of the next-gen game developer rock star kind of persona mm. in the UK. So they started to come. So, and these were the kind of the. Uh, no, in in many ways, this is the 16-bit super developers assembling on the Amiga and the ST. So the C64 is kind of like going,
1: "Ah yeah, I'm
0: still here. I'm here." <laughs> so this is where this comes from, anyway. <laughs> For this, I think for the City 64's version of Super Ball, there's some nice presentation here. We'll go through all this, but there's some nice presentation. Very 16-bit stylings, actually, and straight from that version. In fact, this is pretty much a pound-for-pound pound version of that game. That's not bad going. Mm, um, so the right. game logos are all legit. They're all nicely realized. The graphics are genuinely good here. They're all redrawn versions of their 16-bit compadre, obviously. So they're all 8-bit versions, but on the whole... It's got the look and feel and it's got the kind of vibe. So it's got that kind of game logo. There's a title screen with a sort of fist punches through. That's in the 16-bit versions too. So that's nice. It's all carried across. Obviously, it involves a little bit of loading, but hey-ho. And some predictably rotational music from Dave Whittaker, I felt. Now, it's not too bad, but his his use of short phrases in his music has gradually worked its way to bugging me after all the games we've played. (laughs) Um, And if you want to try and experiment, and I recommend you do this, by the way, if you haven't, shut the music off that's playing in the game when it loads up And then get Knucklebuster's main title theme and put that on it because it goes way better. Just goes, instantly goes better.
1: I can imagine it does, yeah.
0: I tried it as an experiment. I was like, wow, that should have been. It should. It's just the the game that needed the sound and the sound that they get anyway. Um, So the game options screen will appear when you go through all of that. And you've got quite a lot of options actually on it. So it's kind of, um, I guess you'd call it neon styling, really, with some text on there. And there's like an image of a sort of the player's. I don't know, powerful thigh and wrist <laughs> on the right. hand so that's no, actually animated in the 16-bit version. He kind of thumps on his leg and there's like a pow, pow sound effect. But anyway, um, so you've got one player knockout, two player game, one player league, save game, load league, load knockout, load two player game, continue game. This is essentially a good one or two player game with the ability to create and play in leagues, or oh, it's a one player anyway. And mm. you can also save and save your teams and load, well, save your progress and save your, where you're at. Um, and we'll come to sort of how these options manifest as well. So some of them, I guess, some of those are obvious. Obviously, one player knockout is what it is, but I'll describe them a little bit. And um, like I said, the, sky, the styling of all of this is kind of that future neon, I guess you've got neon, neon pipes, grids with really quite nice colors, kind of a blue to white kind of um, sort of fading color. It looks nice on a CRT. Um, and of course, being able to save you progress means you've got, you know, a little bit more of the game to go at, doesn't it? You can come back and do these things. Mm-hmm. So um the essence of this is kind of the one player game two player game um and so the one player and the, and obviously the league game the one player knockout is a human versus computer and I'm, I'll go off the basic instructions because they're very short. So your, your team wears green is playing up to the up the pitch you start you take part in a knockout game based on 10 rounds the object being to reach the final and win. The opposing teams will become more difficult as the rounds progress. Each round is the best of three matches you get two points for a win, one for a draw and zero for losing. To qualify Mm. for the next round, you need to score three points. So, for example, you can win the first leg, lose the second and draw in the third or draw in all three to qualify. However, if you gain three points in the first and second legs, you will not need to play the third, but will automatically qualify for the next round. You will (laughs) will be kept informed of your progress and requirements before the start of each match. That's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. That it's good. And that's actually quite a clever way of doing it as well.
1: That's the right way to do it. It's, no point, it's best yeah. to three, isn't it? If you win the first two, there's no point doing the third one.
0: No, no, not at all. So that's the kind of one-player knockout game. The two-player game, obviously, is human versus human. It's a little bit shorter, really. Player one controls the green team playing up the pitch. Player two controls the red team playing down the pitch. You'll be asked to select the duration of the league from 10 to 100 weeks. 100 weeks is a long time to play a league, just going to say that. Um, but it's not actually 100 weeks, it's hundred. 100- Game in-game weeks, I suppose. And before each game, you'll be kept in form of your current status, your score, 100 points for a win, 20 points for a draw and five for each goal. And you can play your way through a, a, your own little two-player sort of championship. Quite nice. The league game. Um, this is a human versus computer again. The game is played in a league system with scores of 100 points for a win, 20 for a draw and five for a goal. There are 11 teams in the league, including yours. After selecting the duration of the league, you play each week of the league. As as in the knockout game, your opposing teams are drawn randomly, so you will meet teams of different skills throughout the league. At the end of each week, the computer will analyse the results of the matches played by the other teams that week and compile the current league. Your team name will be shown flashing in the table. Each week consists of five matches. Ten teams play each week. Your team will not play in week 11. All pretty good stuff, mm-hmm. isn't it? So that's kind of how this game, that's how the actual func- the game functions, um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and you start things off by picking your team. Um, and each of you have, uh, uh, sorry, you start things off uh, by picking your team, each of which have various stats, such as stamina, power, skill, that kind of thing, they create, it creates some variance in how they perform, and it actually does create variance in how they perform. The three teams that you can choose from in this game are Verna, uh, or Team Verna, led by Captain Keth, uh, Lakata, led by Captain Conroy, and Draco, led by Captain Veyrick. All very cool. Mm. Um, and you get quite a nice selection screen to choose those. After that, you'll see the selection of the um, duration of the league from 10 weeks to 100 weeks. By the way, this is all principally the same as the 16-bit version. So you get Mm. the image of the three team captains, if you like, with the stats on the... They're almost like player cards, really, but they look pretty cool.
1: They do look cool.
0: Which is... uh, So 100 weeks is a long time for a league, it sounds like, but it's actually in-game time. And as I said, there's 11 teams in the league, including yours, and each week you play a team drawn at random. Once your match begins, it's over to the steel pitch, according to instructions, and it says this, and and I think this is cool. The game takes place on a steel-walled, steel-floored pitch, 160 feet long by 90 feet wide. The walls are 30 feet high. There is a goal at each end of the pitch and a ball-warp tunnel in each side wall. Throwing the ball in the tunnel causes it to reappear on the opposing side or opposite side. The ball, launch in the center of the pitch, rises at the start of each game, rotates, then shoots out the ball in a random direction. There are bounce domes off which the ball will be deflected but over which the players are free to move. These appear in different formats for each match, which is quite cool. Um, Controlling your team section... um, um, Sorry, one second. So to control your team, you throw the ball. To to throw the ball, you press the fire button. A very short press will throw the ball at waist height, but if the fire button is held down, it will be thrown high up in the air, passing over the heads of the players. Therefore, it is possible to throw the ball too high to enter the tunnels and the goal mouths. You've got to be careful of that. If your player doesn't have possession of the ball, but is in the air near him, Pressing the fire button will make him jump in the air and attempt to catch it. If the fire button is pressed when your player doesn't have the ball, then he will attempt to tackle an opposing player. If he is moving and the fire button is pressed, he will slide. The last tactic can be used to tackle an opponent or to move faster and intercept the ball. And by the way, your tackle isn't always successful. It actually depends on your skill level. Um, And that's shown in your team info. If you remember those stats, and I said they do have a bearing on how it plays. So if you win the tackle, your opponent will lose some stamina, depending on your strength. And again, that ties into your attributes. Also, the losing player will be sent into an uncontrolled role and will not be unable to do anything for a couple of seconds. The losing player is the goalkeeper. He will not be able to save the ball for a couple of seconds. Remember. Mm. Very, very, very handy to remember that, especially when you're playing two-player. Um, and so it goes on, a successful tackle will result in you can taking control of the ball. You can tackle any player at any time. There are no fouls and no rules in this game. However, you are vulnerable when in the air and will always lose a tackle irrespective of your own, uh, your own or your opponent's will. I think that's pretty cool as mm-hmm. a sort of set of basic rules and how to play. Very interesting. Um, there's actually, when the game starts, I'll sort of describe the sort of what the screen looks like. I just want to, there's actually inside of the game window as well, there are what they're called tokens that appear. And there's two. To- there's actually two types of tokens. They'll appear sometimes, and you have to basically pick them up. They'll appear on the pitch, uh, and you move your player over them. And there's two types, save and collect. Um, there's one specific type, and then the other type is what's called the, the immediate effect type, and they have like a, a designated, um, like a t- letter on them. Each one has sort of a value. So um, the and collect type are ones that you can then use and be used at various various options to influence the game, which is actually a really really clever thing. So you pick these up, you can bribe officials, it can give you extra stamina. You can mm-hmm. get extra skills. You can you know, reduce their stamina and reduce their power. Um, and that sort of accounts on how many tokens you're going to use to do those particular things, which is pretty interesting. They're the ones that you would save up and keep. The immediate effect type, well, you can freeze the opposing team, Reduce the opposing team's speed for a 10-stage countdown. You can protect your team. There's a whole bunch of different things in there. Get the ball, electron bolt. There's quite a few in there, and it really adds a dynamism to the game so that it's not just people running up and down, throwing a ball around. There are things you can pick up. There's ways you can freeze the game. I can tell you that in one player, it's actually quite fun when you're playing those things, probably when it happens to you. In two player, those things are like the... Well, the the only thing I could think of was obviously outside of this game context it's the kind of mario kart idea yeah. where you've got things mm-hmm. that you can literally freeze your opponent team and just score and things like that and it's so in two players, it's like ah damn you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it's that kind of game um, and that's pretty cool so the ball the ball is launched from the center and you control the player that um that the cpu attributes being nearest to the ball and um, so you don't actually choose the player that the ball goes to, it automatically selects one nearest the ball. It's not always perfect, but it's not bad how it does. It. It's pretty, it all happens pretty fast. And there's not a lot of players on the screen. So yeah. it's not like you're trying to scramble your way through 11 people. Is you know, more often than not, your player is going to be the one that's nearest the ball, or, or at least near enough for you to be activated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty good. The selection is, I say it's managed automatically. So that's probably, it's a blessing and a curse that that nuance of the game is not really there. And that means it is kind of a scramble for the ball at times. Now that's kind of, but that's speedball, that's the nature of the game, but it does feel a little bit like, you know, hurl the ball towards the goal, leg it. As It's not a game where you're deploying lots of strategy, but then it's that wouldn't be speedball if it was, would it It'd be something else? No. Um, so you obviously you just then, it's just scramble to get the ball and score. There's some limited animation on the main sprites, there's more on the 16-bit versions, obviously, uh, but since it's top-down, it kind of works um, and it works in the same in the sense that you you can see the direction you're going, which is kind of the important thing, and, you, and it flashes to designate which one you're controlling. It's a little fuzzier when you're tackling or jumping, as it doesn't really feel like you're doing either of the things. It just sort of you play, just sort of launches a bit, but you sort of get used to it. It only ever does it that way. So, it's not like it's some weird variation of it, but it's in the 16 bit ones, they kind of get bigger and they're sort of a little bit more animated and it's a bit yeah, of a yeah. clue. Without that, they just kind of fly around a bit, but hey ho, it just adds to it really. But it can sort of get a little, it can feel like it all spirals out of control very quickly, but that's kind of the fun of it. The play you control is, like I said, indicated by flashing. On the 16 bit versions, they have a big box around them. I think the flashing's better. The um, yeah. screen scrolls at a real pace to match the speed of the ball and the players as they leg it around. There's a tiny, tiny raster glitch in there. It's not going to bother anybody playing this game. You're not going to be distracted by it. Um, The actual main pitch as it plays is on a a kind of a blue checked background or blue and white checker check squares. Um, The detailing on it is very like the 16-bit versions. It's obviously lower res, but you Hmm. still can see the the players and who are on the screen. You still see the thing that shoots the ball in the center. It's all different colors. You can see where the, uh, the, the side things are to throw the ball into when it appears on the other side. It scrolls up and down. There's a goal at the top and the bottom and there's a, there's a UI right at the bottom, a very thin line, but it's perfectly adequate. It gives you your time, the scores and all that kind of stuff. You know, Very simple. It's easy to read, mm-hmm. which is important because the game is, you need to focus on is what's happening in the center. The ball is perfectly fast and animated. It scoots around at a pace. There's no flickiness, no judgering of, of scrolling. This is a well-constructed game experience. So... Um, taking all that into consideration, I think this is actually a co- really competent depot, all said and done, of the 60-bit. Now, I played a lot more of Speedball 2 on the Amiga than I did Speedball, but um, I think the graphics in this are a nice scaled-down version of, of the 16 bit graphics in 8-bit. They're an 8-bit variation, of course. So the tone and the pitch and the general look and feel... They're not going to be 16-bit, but they're all there. You know, there's nothing in here that, d- that doesn't mean this is a, you know, it's not a crappy-looking version of Speedball. This is a good 8-bit-looking, look, and everything, they've they've considered everything. It scrolls fast. The game runs quickly. It feels basically the same as the 16-bit one. Like I said, minus the graphics resolution, but it's an on a, a completely different machine. The sounds, they're not as replete as the 16-bit, but they're suitably thumpy and bangy and crowd-noisy with the usual chip pan fire demonstration going on in the background. I think it feels like a really, really competent version of Speedball. And as a game, it plays all right too. More of a three to three or five-a-side vibe, but it's a very nice playability. The extra tokens you pick up, like I said, add something to proceedings and the ability to play a lengthy league game and other game types means you have something to come back to and you can go ahead and save and load. So that's all great. It might be said that the game gets a bit samey though. There's obviously no way around that. It is what it is. You're playing Speedball. It'd be like saying playing football is samey. Yeah. It's, fo- yeah. it's football. Speedball is Speedball. That's just, This is how it plays. Um, but it does have all of those things you can collect and all of those tokens you can influence the game with. The difficulty, I can tell you, does increase as well. And the gameplay is might be the same thing over and over again, but it's never the same game twice. Not, doesn't, you can't do the same tricks twice in a row. It doesn't work that way. They get really tough, the opponents, at getting the ball and getting it off you. Um, and so I think the only things that I would say is, you know, there's a league in there and there's all those items as well, but without more teams, perhaps, and more ways to p- sort of personalize it, your options, I suppose, may be a bit limited, but in all fairness, all of those things are what they fixed and put into Speedball 2, brutal deluxe. In a similar way to where they fix all the problems with Xenon for Xenon 2 Mega Blast, because that's better than Xenon. Mm. So this is a fast-paced, very competent future sports-based game, something I'd never thought I'd say on the on the C sixty-four. And though the history of those has been chunky over the years, this has kind of come to set the set the record straight. I think it was really pleasing to see that as a at least a proper effort a proper effort sorry had been made to convert the 16-bit version to the 8-bit journey to the center of the earth. take note, please. Um, <laughs> however, if you're going to play an optimum version of this, you'd probably play the Atari ST on the Amiga version, obviously. Probably the Atari ST version is actually really the home of it originally, but um. But if you want a really good version of this, you know, this is certainly good. And if you actually want the best version of this game completely, you'd play Speedball 2, because that's really where all the little things that we talked about all come together. So I think it's really, really good, this. I really enjoyed my time with it. And it was nice to go back to Speedball. It's nice to, you know, this has always been a good one. The Bitmap Brothers are really, really the early 16 bit game dev superstars. Like I said, are that vanguard of the sort of. UK sixty bit gaming quality for me they're up there with the sensible guys Bitmap Brothers their games are just phenomenal on the Amiga and all of them um, you know whether it's Gods whether it's you know all the ones that they have created um, they're all really good and they never did a bad never really gave me a bad you know was, okay Xenon was a bit of a blip but they remember they didn't do that but the game designs and the the professional quality of the product is what counts here. This is a really good game with the C64. If the Amiga versions had have existed, this would have probably been a gold medal. Um, but it's you know it came in at silver. Okay, I think this would have been worth ten pounds of anyone's money back then if you was a C64 gamer. Um, so really, really cool. I really like Speedball, always have, and I probably think I always will. What about you?
1: Yeah, um, probably the best futuristic. Put the ball in a put the ball in a gold game since we played since Ball Blazer. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree and with that. When
1: was that? That was. What was that? A million Jan- years ago. Ja- January 1986? <laughs> Three and a half years. I don't think we've we'll, we'll played things like that. What was that crappy z- one game with X where, you, where it didn't God. follow the X ball? X out, was it? Or it didn't follow oh, the player. I can't, oh, I can't remember. Xylo or something. Xeno. Z- yeah, yeah. Was it Xeno? Xeno, I think. Xeno, that was it. And all the other ones were played. Where That one where it was a cross between whatever it was, pinball and... The one with the holes, remember that one? Oh God,
0: I don't, I'm trying to try
1: erase them out of my mind. <laughs> all these, all these great futuristic sports we played. So it's nice to get a good one, and I, and and I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, some of the, the scores for that reviews have been a bit ropey, so we say, le- recently. But then I played this, and I remember I'd actually play. I used to play this quite a lot back when it came out because I think it's a single load, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's a single load. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think it just yeah. maybe it's just me thinking it was loading, but it was I think just it was. I think, in and out. I think there's extras on the disc version, but I think it is actually a single load because I remember. Because yeah, it's um, on tape, d- isn't it? it must yeah, be. Yeah, I don't think I, I didn't buy this. I can't say I did buy this, but I think this was one of the last games I, I got from uh, Old Brown source um on you know disc to tape because by this point, so many games were multi loads you couldn't put them onto tape mm. very well, and I don't have a disc drive. But this was a thing, so I remember playing this quite a lot. And it's very good. It really is very good. Uh, It's still a really enjoyable top-down futuristic sports game. It moves fast. It controls pretty well. You know, it's responsive. There's no slowdown. It nips about. Yeah. The visuals are really nice. There's loads of little extra bits, like you said, like the power-ups, which add variety and strategic choice when you're playing the game. Do I go for the ball or do I try and go for the power-up quickly? Do I get the extra credit to give me some more money to do stuff at halftime to maybe bribe the officials or whatever? There's loads of sort of little... Those kind of little choices make these kind of games more interesting for the player. Uh, there's great interstitial visuals. And it's... a. It, and you know, uh, for choosing the team, those sort of uh, close-ups of the faces and stuff, and when you, who you're playing. Uh, I thought the music was also a great. Uh, yeah, they're short, but the, they work. I actually quite like them. Mm-hmm. They're fast. They're in and out, and they, they suit the game. And we've really got another – finally got another decent downport here that plays the C64 strength. I think this is a, a really mm. good game. Deserve it. I think it's thoroughly deserving of that sizzler. Yeah, obviously it's superseded by Speedball 2, probably. I don't, mm. I don't think I ever played – because it's quite late, Speedball 2, to the C64. I think it's in, like, 91. So I'm, Yeah, it will be. So I don't think I've ever played the C64 version of no. Speedball 2. No,
0: I haven't. I've only ever played the Amiga version. Um, like, I've, I've never played 2.
1: the um, – sort of 64 version of Swiv either. So those kind of games know. um exist in a vacuum. I've no idea what they're coming out you know. So mm. don't, people don't spoil it for me. I've no idea what's happening with them. No but, spoilers. No, no spoilers. Um but um I do like I said, I remember playing a lot of this and it still stands up because it, it's fast and it's fun. It's just a it good is. it's just a good throw the ball in the hole game, which we've seen so many sci fi stuff. You know, you're battering people out the way. It's got elements. It takes a little bit of elements from things like rollerball. Um,
0: yeah, I meant
1: to mention that. I forgot and, about rollerball, but know, yeah, it totally and, does. And, and things like that. And all those kind of... If, show me a sci-fi show that doesn't have a um, a sport where you're throwing a ball in a hole or oh, into yeah, a goal. loads it's, of them it's just all of them It just all seem to have that um but yeah i really like this i thought it was excellent and i was glad to play this for quite a while and yeah 90 percent, maybe even higher as far as i'm concerned but certainly mm. a sizzler status certainly good stuff just shows you what you can actually do if you do yeah if you take to it yeah put what you can't the c64 can do and this is only I mean, his perfect c64 fodder in it small pitch few yeah. oh, yeah. players throw the ball around what's what's you know you can't really shouldn't really get that wrong but no. in lesser developers hands I imagine they could have got this very wrong <laughs> there you go like the shading on the pitch as well good use of colour on the blues and the blacks and stuff around the top to give to create shadow and stuff nice oh simple. nicely done simple but nice nice yeah. good stuff there you go speedball we like which is nice let's see if we like the next one And this one, well, it, we had, actually we didn't mention. With Speedball was a crapvert the other week, wasn't it? So we've got two crapverts in a row. Um, <laughs> we have yeah. because now we've got Titan. Titan. Mm. Okay. Um, this was nine pounds ninety nine, just like Speedball was. So if you were there in a Jeez. shop, you could have Titan or Speedball, and both have quite similar covers. They both have a sort of futuristic man on the cover. You could be thinking, "Oh, what could I have?" And if you looked at the back of the screenshots, there's not there's a bit of a similar. If you were just looking at screenshots of yeah. this sort of top yeah, down ball yeah, do. based game. You, you could be very mm. confused here. Don't make the wrong choice. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you wouldn't hope, be
0: when you loaded it.
1: <laughs> I hope you don't make the wrong choice. Fresh on the crap, comes Titan from Titus. As oh. I said, it's nine ninety nine. It came out in just about everything at the time, and there is a story of sorts. Um, and it is thus: <sighs> the, the year is twenty one fourteen. The place veg, Vegopolis. Vagopolis? I don't know. (laughs) Professor Hybris, the genius behind all analytic conceptors, is the creator of a brand new leisure axle, which has been driving crowds mad. The fabulous 1,000 kroners bonus to the winner of Titan attracts the wildest adventurers. But the game is Mm. deadly and all have died somewhere along the 80 levels. To succeed... You must guide the Powerball across 80 immense and synthetic worlds using just one magical okay. and magnetic racket whilst avoiding all manner of death icons. The ultra-fast scrolling, <laughs> yeah, okay. the multicolored mm. graphics, the variety of gameplay, and the sheer speed of the game have already caused mental breakdowns. You have been have. War- You have been warned. <laughs> <sighs> There you go. I, don't, I mean, I don't need to tell you much more, do you? Clearly it's Ace, because it says oh, yeah. so. It's Vegopolis. <laughs> Be- good old Vegopolis.
0: <laughs> vegopolis. It's the song that um, Kraftwerk never released. Yeah, they never released that version. Vegopolis. No! Or
1: Radiohead. Vegopolis. <laughs> vegopolis. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> this is what you get <laughs> when you terribly code eighty levels. Mm. That's a lot. Anyway, first Just thing you'll notice when this loads is that this is a quiet game. Quiet game. Yes. This? Quiet. There's mm. no music at all in this. And the title screen has the name of the game at the top and the same font as the crapvert, with a large ball bouncing back and forth in front of it, and then an endless scrolling to high score list from. below that. That mm. high score went on for rages. Really pointless as well who's gonna play yeah. this that many times
0: <laughs> somebody probably did and somebody probably <laughs> just went got blind on
1: forever and they'll all just say Titus no score like at least put names in with the score just, just, put, just put no point oh <laughs> uh, yeah I don't think this, I couldn't find any credits for this I don't think um I think it's I don't I don't think I did I didn't note anything down did you nobody any, made uh, this game no, I don't think there is. Let me just check. I think it was. Alan no. Smithy coded it. There was, There's no credit, so I don't know who did it. Who knows? There's no options. Suppressing fire starts the game, and, and we're just straight in. The minimalism continues as the game has no UI at all. There's none. There's no UI. It's just dead weird. Always helpful. Just a game screen, which takes up the entirety of the middle of the screen. Not quite stretching to the borders, I, I thought. <laughs> no, just it's not. Not quite stretching. Doesn't take all of it. Don't know why. Just black around the edge. Black. You control a cursor. And you move it around with your joystick. The screen scrolls to follow you as you move about, and holding the fire button down slows down your movement speed. The views are top-down, the view is top-down of a maze say a maze type thing, made up of various different blocks, and a ball will be bouncing around, and you must guide your cursor to direct the ball to break the blocks. And when all the blocks have been destroyed, you can then break out of the maze and progress to the next one. Some blocks take a single hit, and some take quite a few to be destroyed. There are skulls in the mazes, and you will lose a life if you or the ball hit one of these. There are also some blocks that will grow a square when you move over them until they block the way through them, when they're, fully, when they're big and fully well-grown. Red squares yeah. allow the ball to move through them, but not the cursor, and green ones work in the opposite way. Ah. There are also skid squares, which make you move yeah. in the direction until you hit a wall. So they just yeah. you, you just you just get away. There are um, there are also E blocks, and these swap the position of you and the ball. So if you go in one of them, okay. the screen is go, and you will be like, "But the, the hell just happened!" Yeah, and then and, you'll go E. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and you think you've taken one, and that's about it. Um, the sound effects are perfunctory bumps and bloops as the ball hits stuff. The graphics are a bit chunky bass relief for the walls. But it's distractionally coloured floor <laughs> that that, coupled with the scrolling, which is character-based rather than pixel based, your favourite, Graham. Uh quickly leads to a bit of a headache yeah. as you move around the play area. What's the what's the uh what, what's the register? Is it DO19? DO 16 and on this on this for three sixty DO one as well. Ah, DO one oh. okay. It's DO one something, but you know, use it properly. <laughs> Please. Yeah, use, use it. it properly. So yeah, quickly leads to a bit of a headache as you move around the player. Essentially, This is another take. It's another breakout. This is another take on breakout. It's what this is. It reminded me, similar to that uh, one we saw, to that Jinx. Remember Jinx? where you were sort of the ball bouncing from left to right and you had to guide it (laughs) along, that stupid thing. And they've tried to spruce up breakout with some scrolling and a multi-direction bat thing, and and it just moves all around the place and there's mazes and stuff. But essentially, you're just hitting a ball against bricks. That's what you're doing. No way around that. But it it just gets really boring really quickly because the mazes are dull and the action is pedestrian at best. (laughs) <laughs> I say it's it's just not fast enough to hold interest. And when you get down to the last few blocks to destroy as, um you know, cause you're having that issue that all breakout games do in that you have to aim the ball at a small point, but it bounces off and you're chasing it through the maze and you're trying to get it back to where you need it to be. And it's like, half oh, a God's sake, just hit the thing. And then when it does, it just goes to the next maze and it carries on. And there's 80 of these damn things. No, it just gets no. dull. And it's not helped by the lack of atmosphere. Cause there's no music. None. I'm sure they could have fit some in. Drop a couple of the mazes. Put some music in. You know, ask one of these up-and-coming new musicians we've heard loads from recently. Your Adam Gilmores or your, uh, what was his, Jason Julian Poole, whatever his name was. Mm. Um, I can't remember his name, but it, those guys, they're, they're knocking out tunes all a of the place. Get them in. Get them doing some tunes. Uh, but no, that and the jerky scrolling. Just, I, I just was really bored really quickly. I don't know why it's called Titan either. No. I don't. <laughs> it's just got nothing to, 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 to... Why is it called Titan? I, that's like a condom name, isn't it? Yeah. People, yeah it was, yes. <laughs> people really are trying to squeeze new things out of Breakout. This is just a squeeze too far for me. It's just like, you know, <laughs> it's just an unpleasant... It's just boring. And mm. it just lacking all any kind of atmosphere or playability or anything. I mean, it, it's not... the jerky squad, but those backgrounds are, you know headache inducing when yeah. it's scrolling a, a jerky notion of you know pixel at a time so like, a pixel a, a character at a time no i didn't i didn't like this um it's it's not it's it's boring it's just boring boring one of my students a few years back actually did something very similar um a sort of breakout where you had to guide the ball around a, a maze and stuff like that that was boring as well but there you go <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean it was it was really dull uh, it's just not a good idea for a game no it's just not so uh, I didn't like this Titan. We got thirty nine percent, and I think that's being a bit on the generous side. Personally, I mean, yeah. maybe I mean I can see maybe you know it's worth a third, I guess, because it works and there's a game and it. Mm, but it's not. It's not enjoyable. And what the hell is that title? You know that cover? What we looked at? Why is that man crapping out a triangle and stuff? Anywho. Titan, it's not very good. What did you think? Well, the, my, my my first thought was, ah, the scrolling. <laughs>
0: oh, that scrolling. I mean, a weird breakout variation. Okay, that's what it is. Maybe there was some merit in that, maybe. There never mm-hmm. has been, really, has there? And just breakout is breakout. You can't, you know, mix it up too much. I mean, as far as you gonna you know, Arkanoid or whatever.
1: Arkanoid, crack out, they've been okay. Yeah
0: that's what i mean That's as far as you're gonna go with it Should be. there's no Should point be. in don't change the parameters too much what you've got here is pinball meets qdex meets breakout no <laughs> don't ever do that no. don't ever mix those things there you've crossed the streams and you know we know what happens if you do that the graphics i didn't think were terrible but they were colors were really on the gaudy side weren't they like, at certain point, so. you're like those colors don't go together who put this who, who matched that together it's just like you're like oh god as if the scrolling wasn't bad enough, it then stroboscopically blind you. You're like, oh, yep. That scrolling is a nightmare on the eyes. It's, not, it's it's actually disorienting. After a while, you find your brain starting to sort of be affected. It's it's not good. I mean, no one likes their field of vision being yanked around like that. Nobody does. It's It's exhausting for the eyes and also for the brain. Even arcades don't generally throw you around that much, even in the hydraulic ones. Add to that the overwhelming difficulty, and you've got the twin fangs of headache and frustration, which as a Jedi will eventually work out through their various Venn diagramming. It probably led to the dark side in some way. <laughs> the end result is, a, I suppose, a, it's a, what I've called a half-decent shot of an idea trapped in a game that will give you a headache, eye strain, and a migraine. Measure and pace are two considerations that are needed, and they are not. Crappy eighties comedians, so that's what was needed in this game. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like it because I just it literally scrolling hurt my head after a while. I'm like, yeah. no, I can't be doing with that. Then I thought to myself, at some point, the guy that made that game, he must move his head around a lot, like a crazy amount, like he's like some crazy <laughs> twitcher.
1: I don't know
0: who he is. <laughs> it? it is. because it, it, maybe that's normal speed for him? He's like, he's just on his seven millionth cup of coffee of the day.
1: Like, yeah, that's it
0: <laughs> that for him. That's slow motion, but uh, I couldn't cope with it. So <laughs> no they, they, call, no. they call
1: him the Vidi Printer.
0: One <laughs> well, thing is right. I mean, I've said before, my hand eye coordination ain't what it used to be. On this, it was like I, I was just periodically the screen was just a blur and I'm like, have, have I moved? This, yeah. what, where's my eyebrows? <laughs> what's it's going not on?
1: Good. It's not good. No. It's really no, not good.
0: No, no, I, it actually did give me a bit of a headache. And the only good other games that have managed that have been Minta games, so
1: no Yeah, it, it did remind me those backgrounds did remind me of that double bill we had with that Minter game and that Sean what's Sean Southern <laughs> game. Is yeah. it Pod? Podden, yeah. we had Podden, whatever God. the other
0: one was. Yeah, that destroyed the brain. Yeah, yeah it
1: did. Yeah. I'm more interested, though, to wonder about what other Venn diagrams the Jedis have.
0: That's quite a... Well, that's something that uh, maybe our listeners can uh, figure out because obviously <laughs> pain leads to suffering. Suffering leads to, I don't know, socks. And socks leads to bad presents. I don't know. But, you know, various, they're creating all of these. You know, all of these Venn diagrams must coexist. So there must be, like, in the middle is the, the Sith or something. I don't There's know. the dark side.
1: Yeah. titans in there somewhere
0: i'll just do what i did and waste your entire life watching a new disney series only to realize that half the things inside of that series don't make any sense unless you actually know all of the jedi lore off by heart which i don't so
1: (laughs) don't i've still got the last episode to watch (laughs) i've not ruined anything for you don't worry (laughs) i'm like you i'm like i think i'm supposed to have watched star wars rebels this there's i think this
0: isn't yeah i'm not saying anything (laughs) who is this guy
1: who is this blue guy
0: the, there is no. I'm not going to say anything because that's you know it's off subject. But there is, is. There's something that made me laugh out loud in that. But yeah, but Titan didn't. It made me a headache, and I don't like it.
1: Yeah, there we go. Titan, don't play it. It's not very good. Let's move on. We've still got one more this half. Let's get to that. Graham, it's over to you for um. Well, the real Ghostbusters, not those fake kind. <laughs> Ghostbusters, what do you want? Okay, uh,
0: so this is the real Ghostbusters, £9.99, 67%. Mm-hmm. Published by Activision. Ooh, copyright data east. A. Eh? Uh, this was coded by Greg Duddle, Edith Karnov, Menace, and Willow Patton. Quality. Yay. This is also coded by Jason Hegy or Hegy. He did Heroes of the Lance. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Graphics <laughs> are by
1: James McDermott, Edith Menace. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to me choke. <laughs> I just thought the graphics in Menace. I was like, ah! And then I heard,
0: and then the musician is uh, David Whitaker, the man of a thousand loops. Who so did? Which, did he? Is. Didn't he do Menace? It did do Menace. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so I think there's a couple of things we need to discuss, isn't there, before we get into the game. So I've labelled these as the first thing we'll discuss is the, the real Ghostbusters versus Ghostbusters versus the Ghostbusters. And part two of that will be the real Ghostbusters arcade from Data East, question mark. Okay, so uh, just to be, so we can be clear on all things Ghostbusting and how it all fits. The, ghost, the Ghostbusters was a filmation-produced live-action children's TV show sitcom that ran on CBS in the U.S., In 1975, Mm. it was about a team of bumbling detectives who investigate ghostly occurrences. 15 episodes were produced. The series is completely unrelated to the 1984 film Ghostbusters, although Columbia Pictures did pay Filmation a significant fee for a license to use the name. Mm. Okay. The success of Columbia's unrelated film Ghostbusters spurred Filmation to resurrect their own property, The Ghostbusters, producing an animated series based on the characters from the earlier TV show. Ghostbusters, later called Filmation's Ghostbusters, was later a 1986, obviously, American animated TV series that was made by Filmation, as I said, and distributed by Tribune Entertainment, serving as their sequel to that live action show. The animated series ran from September the 8th to December the 5th, 1986, in daytime syndication, and they produced 65 episodes. It is not to be confused with the Columbia Pictures' 1984 film, Ghostbusters, or that film's subsequent animated television show, The Real Ghostbusters ghostbusters which premiered five days later wow, real okay. ghostbusters is an american animated television series spin-off sequel of the 1984 comedy film ghostbusters but not the 1975 the ghostbusters or anything to do with the ghostbusters animated show that came out in the same year but has nothing to do with it the series ran from september the 13th 1986 to october the 5th 1991 and was product produced by columbia pictures tv dic dick enterprises and distributed by the Coca-Cola Telecommunications Company. Who even knew they had one? The real part was added to the title after the dispute with Filmation and its Ghostbusters properties. The series continued the adventures, the real Ghostbusters series, continued the adventures of paranormal investigators Dr. Peter Venkman, Dr. Egon Spengler, Dr. Ray Stantz, and Winston Zedmore, their secretary, Janie e. Melnitz, and I didn't write this. This is from Wiki, and their mascot ghost, Slimer. Mascot ghost? Slime was the... He wasn't a mascot. When did that happen, anyway? Mm,
1: I think that's between one and two, innit? It's like he... Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: Is it, though? Mm, shifty <laughs> eye looks to everybody.
1: Mm. <laughs> anyway,
0: there is, by the way, an interesting voice cast of the animated show. So, you know, the real Ghostbusters. The voice of Peter Venkman for the first two seasons was a guy called Lorenzo Music. He did
1: the voice of the cartoon Garfield. Yeah, he's Garfield, isn't he? Because he sounds exactly yes. the same.
0: <laughs> now, uh, Dave Cooley, who did the voice of Peter Venkman for season three to seven, he did mainly work on Scooby Doo and Scrappy Doo. prior to that, mm,
1: okay.
0: Egon Spengler was voiced by a guy called Maurice Lamarche. He did Pinky in the Brain from Pinky in the or Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. He's also the voice of Kiff Croker from Futurama. Kiff, Kif. does that? Oh, good yeah. old Kiff. Kiff, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's <a> voice. <laughs> you boy, you Kiff. You're the boy. You Kiff, oh. you're the boy. <laughs> uh, Ray dance, Slimer, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, Lenny Klotch, at Manx and Scareface were all voiced by the same guy. That's a guy called Frank Welker. Now, he's also the voice of Nibbler from Futurama, Santa's Little Helper and <laughs> Snowball 2 from wow. The Simpsons, and Freddy from Scooby-Doo.
1: Oh, what is that? Okay.
0: Winston Zedmore in Seasons 1 to 3 was voiced by Arsenio Hall.
1: <laughs> oh, cool.
0: And and he was uh, then revoiced <laughs> by Buster Jones for Seasons 4 to 7, Who is the guy who did the voice of Doc in G.I. Joe, which was a cartoon we didn't really get a lot over here. So that's that's the so in case you were wondering what, why it was called the Real Ghostbusters, oh, and what's that what's that got to do with Ghostbusters? Now you know. Now you know all the all you need to know. Now, the Real Ghostbusters Arcade from Data East um, was a nineteen eighty seven shoot 'em game developed and published by Data East in the United States. It's loosely based on the animated series of the same name, but not now I won't go into it all again. Um <laughs> please don't. in Japan Data <laughs> in Japan, Data East released it as a non-Ghostbusters arcade game under the title Miyaku Hunter G. <laughs> Weird. Weird. That's, that's the legitimate arcade. Um, in 1989, Activision obviously published the real Ghostbusters for the Amiga, the Amstrad, the CPC, the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, and the ZX Spectrum. The arcade, by the way, was a 3 megahertz uh, HD 6309 processor with 6502 blah, blah, blah for sound, and a Yamaha blah, 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 and it's an, arcade. it's an arcade. Okay. So the real Ghostbusters is a shoot-em-up game based, a shootable game loosely based on the animated series of the, obviously of the real Ghostbusters. It features 10 levels, each viewed from an angled overhead perspective. This is the arcade. The player controls a member of the Ghostbusters team, must defend against various monsters and ghosts while completing each level on a time limit. Monsters are killed if the player shoots at them, and the player can earn bonus points by trapping each monster's soul, which is done by using a proton beam to suck in the ghost. Bonus items which can aid the player are hidden throughout the game, um, in objects such as oil drums and wheelbarrows, bonus items include weapon upgrades or a slimer ghost who protects the player by killing enemies who get too close. The end of each level features a boss um, enemy ghost who must be defeated, leaving behind a key that will allow the player to access the next level. The arcade version included a multiplayer option for up to three players, while the computer versions feature a measly two-player option for a multiplayer mode. Yeah, Do they now? Do they now? Um I noted that the C64 game um was a bug fixed version that we had um and it said there was something to do with the way the end credits went wrong and um that you got stuck in a loop when you finished the game it just kept going back and saying well done you finished the game you'd like restart the game well done you finished the game
1: thought, <laughs>
0: oh no <laughs> you, so once you finished it you could never get out of it so that's kind of how it all plays out um the gameplay for this let me just zoom in on my thing because my eyesight isn't that good so the gameplay for the c64 well, it's not dissimilar to that actually um you basically plays out the same the view and the graphics aren't quite the same as that but um
1: <laughs>
0: the principle of it is the same there's still the same 10 levels and um, you still got to shoot the ghosts and do all of that and it says in the in the c64 version though um the characters are armed with guns and proton beams creatures can be shot aren't they ghosts how does that work With either weapon to transform them into ghosts, the ghosts can then be trapped. So they're not ghosts, they're monsters that then get shot and turned into ghosts. I thought Ghostbusters were busting ghosts.
1: I thought that was the real thing. This is the real Ghostbusters, who are also Uh, Monsterbusters. The real Monster monster Uh, Ghostbusters. Right, okay. And
0: then the ghosts can then, once they've turned into ghosts, you can then obviously trap them in the thing. Your ammunition for your gun is unlimited, but the proton beam has a limited charge, which is at the top of the screen also displayed as the remaining lives and the number of ghosts collected, as I'm sure you are aware.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay, so the game starts with a somewhat familiar um, title screen from the arcade. It's actually a version of the arcade. The, the 16-bit ones do the same. Then a really weirdly drawn image of some buildings, one called the Ghost House, which to me looked like an entrance to a 90s UK nightclub. <laughs> anyway, a rather chunky version of the Hector one is at the bottom of the screen and the text, capture the ghosts, collect the keys, save the city, appears in really hard to read writing Mm -hmm. it's kind of from the arcade only the cat pulls up car pulls up in the arcade and then you run out and run into the building that don't happen in the c64 version it's just you just parked outside of a (laughs) nightclub and that's it so something's going on go in there and do stuff Mm -hmm. but i suppose at least the screen was there then there is the main title screen with the familiar ghostbusters logo no game title though which was a bit odd (laughs) looked like it was missing to me and it just said press one or two that's your option it's like press one or two it was like okay this is I, my, my, I start to get a funny feeling at this point. <laughs> okay. Some loading, I think, happens. You got a duddle. And, the, and then the game began. <laughs> now, the top five character rows, I guess, of the game window, about 40 pixels, is the UI, which gives you the number of ghosts you have to collect,ed the number of lives you start with five, your score and your proton beam charge indication... Additionally, you have a level countdown clock. You've got three minutes um, to finish each, each level. And the stage you're currently on is highlighted there. There are some token character icons there. Oddly, the one that looks like a ghost has the word ghosts next to it. Your <laughs> lives, which looks like a tiny soldier aiming a rifle, doesn't say lives. No. So um, it's a bit weird. It's really odd. No. Um, the game window is a multi-directional scrolling background comprising some really naff graphics. Let's be, just be truthful ground in this game is gray with black dots the other scenery is really had to figure out the perspective is all over the
1: place <laughs> this is this game is perspectively challenged <laughs> it doesn't quite look like what it actually is <laughs> it's like did, you ever heard of a vanishing point <laughs> no in the arcade
0: you're actually walking over rooftops in this um so I could not make and that out makes what sense because you, know, you know so in, this is some kind of weird blue and black dot version of that i don't get it I'm not sure why they chose those colours instead of the colours that are in the game in the arcade, which is white and grey. Two colours which I'm reasonably certain Commodore 64 has several shades of as well. But what do I know? Your sprite is a small green soldier. <laughs> uh, not dissimilar to the kind of Purple Heart, Fernandez Must Die size, desolate it, Commander, that kind of sprite size, only dressed not dressed in the familiar white of the Ghostbusters or the odd bluish camo combat fatigues of the arcade, but purest green. <laughs> I don't know why they're not the green Ghostbusters; they're the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> you can shoot either guns, like I said. Why would you shoot guns? Well, I guess they're monsters, but they look like ghosts. And, and proton beams—you press short press for guns, long press for proton beam. You control the green Ghostbuster with the joystick in eight directions, and it's all in a kind of a bad, crappily drawn, isometricish gauntlet type thing, I guess, where you're attacked by waves of ghost-related splats who sometimes shoot at you. And if you col- and you know, you can shoot at them, and if you want to collect the things you can. Occasionally you'll get bonus things and even a slimer if you could be bothered to sort of navigate the pumpy, pumpy up and down things. And, so, and that's how it kind of plays out. The rooftop buildings, I can't, it's hard to explain the perspective they're drawn at. I think you're meant to be looking kind of down on them. It doesn't work. It actually, it's really confusing. And so you end up not really understanding where you are. It took me ages. I thought it was inside a building. You go inside a building, not onto the top of a roof. Mm-hmm. Really weird. Yeah. Really weirdly drawn. And so that's kind of how it plays out. You, you run, shoot, proton things if you want. Collect stuff when it appears, avoid, walk across the weird blue grey dot E roof thing. There's a lot of enemies in the game-ish. Not easy to identify what on earth they are, though. Um, it looks like someone's partially chewed a load of sweets and just spat them onto your screen and then because they <laughs> float around and annoy you in some way. There were <laughs> some mummies in there. Mummies. The Ghostbusters <laughs> have never fought them, ever. Why would they? Why would they be in ancient Egypt? Why, when did that happen? Not Why ghosts. would they be on a rooftop nightclub? They're not ghosts. I, I know, but I mean, even so. And um, just, it just seems really odd. So, like I said, loads of stuff. Maybe the maybe they're, okay, there's stuff like that in it. Weird, weird, there's weird spider creatures. I think there is weird monsters
1: in the cartoon. I think there is. There
0: might be, yeah. When there was one that looked like a spider creature, there's one that looked like a bearded egg, um, which was quite terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So, just, they're just indistinct, but ghostly, I don't know. Weird, maybe. Old when egg. When you do get to the end, and maybe you will want to, when you get to the end the level, you get presented with what looked like two giant golden coffins. And then you kind of fire the ghost into them through the center slot, like a delivery slot. It's really (laughs) weird. At that point, I'm not sure it really... Mistakes. It starts to lose it. It starts to think, what, what on earth has this got to do with the Ghostbusters, real or otherwise? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of presentation and I suppose a version of the arcade buried in here somewhere. All 10 levels are here, I suppose, at least. Maybe you can say that. Um, well, all or most of the in-between arcade parts are there, albeit that there's just, you know, the sort of cut and paste versions. Sound effects, okay, I guess. The music sounds a bit like Ghostbusters in a kind of 8-bit version way. It's a bit like the arcade in the kind of... It's in a kind of limbo, really, in terms of its likability. I suppose it is another game with Ghostbusters shoehorned into it, which is exactly what it was in the arcade. Is it a playable game? I don't know if it's that playable in a basic way, maybe. But I mean, in the same way we've seen other run and gun type games work, this kind of doesn't really. The graphics are really crappy and it was just little effort. I mean, it wouldn't have been too much trouble to make some backgrounds that at least look like an (laughs) element of something you could say was shaded or... Looked okay. I mean, the scrolling's okay, I suppose, but it does have that now almost obligatory raster gl- line glitch in the corner there somewhere. It's, I mean, it's not like I said, it's not a deal breaker, but just on top of everything else, it just feels like someone just went, ah, oh, whatever. It's just, my issue with this is one of laziness. This feels like such a lazy conversion. I mean, they all kind of do with these things. I took a look at the Amiga version and it had really weirdly bigger graphics of some things and juddery scrolling on on an Amiga, juddery scrolling. And then I thought, okay, well, you know, at least it had the colors right, more or less. It was also clearly ported from the Atari ST, which also featured the same graphics and juddery scrolling. But the player sprite was at least the same size as the arcade. The Amstrad CPC version is an affront to anything gaming or (laughs) Ghostbusters and principally the greenest thing you'll ever see. It's just horrible. The Spectrum version has a similar feel to the Amstrad one. Oddly, it's more colourful than an Amstrad, which is really weird if you think about it. Um, And it's not often you say that, but it is, and the sprite is the right size, but the scrolling's horrible, obviously. Um, So the C64, even though it's got the smallest sprites and it's green and it doesn't actually look really anything like the arcade and has the oddest colours, but the best scrolling, it's probably up there with the Amiga for the best sound as well. So the C64 one is the least crappiest, or at least not the best worst i don't know what, <laughs> what kind of award you give it for that anyway maybe you find it fun in two player i don't know i played it one players there's some no. semblance of a game in there hanging its coattails on a license this isn't a conversion done with much care or passion at all maybe there's a reflection of the published um, the publisher here and how they treated their developers i think this is more a reflection really of that and indeed how much time they were given this to me shouts you've got six weeks pump something out jury's all out on that one i don't know the facts of that but with some proper attention, maybe this could have been quite the game, quite a nice little shoot up in the tradition of these things, but not like this. So I'm afraid the real Ghostbusters, well... The real monster bashers, maybe. I don't know, but I, I didn't like it at all. It certainly didn't deserve 67%. What about you?
1: Nah, subpar commando knockoff with Ghostbusters slapped on the top of it, essentially. Real it? Ghostbusters. Remember real that? Ghostbusters, Go with, with real Ghostbusters slapped on top of it. Did did anyone want this? Did they? <laughs> did nobody wanted the real Ghostbusters thing. No one. I was never. No, I was never a massive fan of the real Ghostbusters cartoon, so it's too late for me. i got very little affinity, affinity for this. But even if I did, even if I didn't, just taking it on its own merits as a game, the puny main sprite, the crappy bitty ghosts, the crude and perspectively challenged backgrounds, and that drone of a soundtrack just soon <laughs> drove me away. I was like, no, no. I think back to the original Ghostbusters game, the, Ghostbusters, the 1984 Activision 1 as well by David Crane, and the way that had... Yeah. You know, loads more thought and effort put into it with the earning the cash, driving around, hoovering up ghosts. Yeah. Add ghosts. You know, add ghosts. Yeah, actual <laughs> not, ghosts, yeah. Not the thing is. And I know the real Ghostbusters was this weird, because I think, wasn't it, if I remember rightly, wasn't the real Ghostbusters, like, Ghostbusters the film was based on the real Ghostbusters because they were they were real. So I think yeah. that was the plot, wasn't it, for this? is like the real Ghostbusters no were, were actually real people in the real world that the film was based on. I seem to remember mm. something like that. I don't know if you might be
0: a size that I think I'm I don't because sure. that's, like. that's
1: why it's called the real ghostbusters I think it's called the real
0: ghostbusters because they needed to not call it the ghostbusters I say I explained all that at the beginning you you need you need to learn to listen <laughs> That's why. That's why it was called the real ghostbusters. I'm Steve.
1: sure there was something to do with that. I remember something about it. anyway. But whatever. If I want to play commando, or I'll play who dares wins, or commando, or Fernandez <laughs> Masai, or Rambo, or you know a thousand other things that we've had that are better than this. This was as perspectively challenged as that other stupid one that Paul Norman where he did the uh, dance routines for it. Whatever that one was, I can't, I can't remember what that one was called. Battle Island was it or something or some stupid thing? Yeah, this th- those that perspective on those buildings. D- I, just, I didn't get it. I didn't, it was all over the place. Nah, I didn't like this. There's way better commando derivatives on the C64. Just play them. This is ugh, just ugly and not very good. Didn't like it. 67%, way too much, way too much. This is 40-odd for me. Mm, Babish. Way too much. There you go. The real Ghostbusters. Whatever they are, they can do one. That's it. That's this half done. We're going to take a break. We started off well, and then it went downhill, um, which is always <laughs> <Yeah>. the way. <laughs> One out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Well, for recent episodes, no, it's not, if I'm honest. That's 33% hit rate. Uh, We're going to go away. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got TV and films to do from June 1989. So please do stay around. And we are back. Let's get into it. Film and TV, June 1989. 5th of June, Graham, BBC2 broadcast a special 90-minute programme, Climate in Crisis, to mark United Nations World Environment Day, was presented by Michael Burke and David Attenborough. It predicted the Earth's greatest threat within rising temperatures and sea levels will already be changing our planet from averting catastrophe in the year 2050. I'm not quite sure that sentence makes any sense. It sounds like, look, we're heading for catastrophe in the year 2050. Mm. Uh, it had studio guests, including Sir Shudath Rampal and Jonathan Porritt, and an exclusive interview with, uh, back then, His Royal Highness Prince Charles. He voiced his concerns. Did he now? He did. Clearly, we... Uh, we took great notice of this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like
0: uh, yeah, we, all that stuff you said about climate change, it's, uh, it's never hot enough in the summer, is it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that going to eat into our oil profits?
0: Mm, exactly. Dodgy. Um, so tragic that we didn't, you know, we, it's actually arguably probably too late now in many ways. You know, the ice caps are now melting, sea levels are rising, the weather pattern's gone crazy.
1: Yeah, Switzerland has oh. lost most of its glazed cheese. Most of its cheese? Oh my God, the world's gone mad. It's, with cheese. it's all. It's cheese. The holes a, have taken over. It's all whole. Can you, now. It's still can you imagine? There. It's, it's a, all
0: whole. <laughs> it's the UN will be like uh, holding an emergency meeting. Like, what are we going to do about Never mind the nukes. What about the cheese? God's so, sake.
1: It's 95% whole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all the cheese is gone. There's just the holes left. Don't use, you throw any arguments about there being nothing there. We had that with <laughs> Einstein and his black holes. It turns out there
1: was something in there. There was. There's a lot in there. Everything was in there. It was all sucked in. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and we've just had um, reports that we've just had the hottest September ever on record. Yeah. If you we haven't that. been
0: measuring things that long, but yeah, it's pretty hot. Well, long enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've We haven't been, well, we've had, we, in, the, in the total sort of timescale of planets we've been on here but a drop in the ocean
1: it's a blink a boiling like a, ocean be it, be a bit a blink in the eye yeah blink of the eye but uh since records began we've just had the hottest yeah. september oh, yeah. ever yeah
0: yeah and, it's always you know,
1: good crazy it's, it's good but also crazy isn't it for yeah. someone who does not like hot weather this does not please me yeah well it's it is you know well the change it used to be called global
0: warming now it's called climate change isn't it i don't know if that's- still called global warming but i, no, I hear climate change more nowadays
1: yeah climate crisis as well i hear yeah, climate
0: change. terrible yeah. and if you if you do a google search for or a youtube search for climate in crisis um, to try and find that show there's about a million shows now with so the clearly been warning every year there's been a warning for since that show and we're still going yeah but where's the proof it's like a, yeah so it's 45 degrees outside in october <laughs> where's your proof
1: yeah, it's going to be Stupid. hot. It's going that to be hotter saying. here in England, isn't it? Than a bath on Saturday, I've read.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be. I'm <laughs> sunbathing that. in the Antarctic. Come on, where's your proof?
1: Where's your proof? I remember because I remember, and I'm going to go back here. I remember snow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like well, I know we had the beast from the east of the year, but like snow used to come. We could regularly, we'd regularly get a decent snowfall in our part of yeah. the world every year. Yeah. Now it's like a few flakes. No, now it's snakes. <laughs> and bugs and, yeah, and that's the other thing in it as well sort of thing those bloody uh black fire ants whatever are making their way up because it's oh, getting yeah. hotter i was reading about yeah. that as well
0: so they're making the, their way through the aura and the giant hornets the beat the bee eating hornets yeah yeah
1: just what is going on
0: i mean they're just it's just it's turning into like one of them movies where everything's just getting bigger and it eats the previous thing well so there was wasps that ate bees now these hornets that eat wasps where is it going to end soon there'll be dragons <laughs> eating stuff
1: well, they end with an old woman <laughs> eating a horse Exactly, and, and that's never good, dead, is it? Exactly. Perhaps she'll die. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy. I think right now we're at phase three. We might not get to <laughs> phase four and have to use hundred percent yellow. But you know, I've got, I've got it on. I've got it downstairs, cued oh, on the record, dear. record player. Bomb, bomb. Those ants hate that song. <laughs> He
0: does 100% blue in that as
1: well, doesn't he? <laughs> it's not working. The answer is like, <laughs> we love it. <laughs> oh, we oh, laugh dear. at the destruction I'm, of the planet. I, must, I know, I
0: must do that redux as well before the you know, world ends.
1: 100% yellow. bom.
0: Bom, <laughs> bom. Bom. <laughs>
1: Anyway, fifth. also on the 5th of June, Channel 4 aired the network television premiere of David Lynch's 1984 science fiction epic Dune, it starred Carl McLaughlin, Junior Madsen, Francisca Annis, Max von Sydow, mm. Jürgen Prochnow, Everett McGill, Sean Young, Sean Phillips, Jose Ferry, Freddie Jones, Patrick Stewart, Dean Stockwell, Alicia Witt, and Sting. And Sting. Just <laughs> second Sting uh,
0: stuff I watched this week. Honestly, this film, I mean, it took its time to get to the, you know, because that's probably because nobody really liked it. It was a massive plot, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, could, i mean we'll we'll sell you june Nah, we're good thanks yeah, no sorry, we don't want it i mean there's so many things wrong with with june but it still remains quite interesting and it's one of those films that over time even though it was loathed at the time considering the complexity of the material that's there it's actually a pretty good version in its own way it's just you have to be in the mind space of understanding david lynch and how he makes films in order mm-hmm. to really understand, because this is a film. This is a film that began life as a David Lynch, you know, designed, designed and directed film with all the styling from what's the famous um, Jean Paul Gaultier did all the styling. No, he did, he did. He didn't do that, or did he? It might be some famous stylist did the. Let me check. Did the fashion sense in that? I could be wrong, but it's, anyway, that's that's the where this was coming from in terms of its visual. And there's some amazing visual stuff in it. Lots of big map paintings, and some of the effects aren't great obviously. But the real battle here was nothing to do with that. The battle was between David Lynch trying to impress a vision of an auteur based on the back of the success that they had with um, The Elephant Man and, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so he was considered a bankable director and... but ignoring the fact that he had a very much a style and rafael de laurentis who and the de laurentises who produced this who pretty much tore entire sections of the script out in order to say right famously they say whether it's true or not that in order to get the film's running time down because it was massively over budget and massively over schedule she went to the film set grabbed the script and tore every second page out
1: good lord (laughs) really
0: so yes and that's the version that got made and Obviously, David Lynch then disowned Dune completely afterwards, saying that it was you know, a terrible experience for him and wasn't why we envisaged it. I still got a soft spot for Dune. It's, I recommend you watch it. Obviously, we've got the new version now, which is amazing. But there's still parts of Dune that I like and the way that it was kind of visually rich and the language mm. was rich. And there's some really good ideas. It all gets a bit weird. Um, but then again, the, the concept <laughs> of what they're trying to explain... The concepts of what they were trying to explain, I think the way that David Lynch was trying to d- explain it is perhaps the best way you can explain something like that, where you've got lots of internal dialogue, lots of sh- weird shenanigans, lots of fouring factions of people muttering and talking to each other and whispering. You know, it, I think he captured quite a good essence of what made the the Fremen in June quite interesting characters. But like I said, if you t- if you imagine a script that's half the script it was originally, then there is a much longer version of um, of June which you can get. That version, 980 photo version. There's actually a complete sort of. There's a TV edit of it which has got loads of extra weird crap in it. And mm. um, so somewhere there's like a version with loads of extra stuff in it. Now it won't make any more sense, but it probably is probably not very good. And it's this what I think that's the one that was um, directed on the directors credits he says alan smithy because it was completely disowned but by that, by that point by david lynch mm. but there's good music in it some really good scenes in it some of the effects in it might not look great now but back then they weren't bad the worms and the sandworms not it's yeah. quite an interesting film in its own way
1: yeah i want a big fan of it did you um do you ever read the books i've read the first book so i think that's what it's based on in it is it the first yeah,
0: book? yeah but it sort of presses loads of stuff that happens a game of thrones style actually I mean, I'm like, not just pressy. I mean, goodness me, there's, there's like chapters where it's condensed down to like two lines of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there's loads of character development in that. And so you get behind the characters more. You understand a little bit more about the, not just the Fremen, and the, mm. they're sort of really almost quasi-religious sort of overtones, but also all about the, the, the Atreides and, and everything else and why the Mentats are quite important to the Atreides and how all of that works and the sandworms and and then all of the guild and all of the guild navigators and all of the stuff around Spice, that's all explained. And it's kind of written off what looks like a bogey in the film that <laughs> sort of farts out a kind of, it just farts, goes, wah, it farts out a ball. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't work quite as well. Um, but there's some yeah. great lines of dialogue in that film. And there's some there is just moments of genuine visual richness yeah, the stu- that are just beautiful. Stuff. When the guild navigator arrives in the first sequence in the in the film, um, and all the sort of guild the guild team that come with him as if you like, the sort of the obviously the, the big worm thing in the tank is the guild navigator and then all of the, mm. the staff and they go to talk to the empress. Is it Shaddam something the third or whatever he's called? Yeah. The, those are the parts I really like because there's just such beautiful richness to it all.
1: I really like that. It's good. Mm. I mean there was an earlier Attempt what the is doing Did you see? Have you uh, also as well? Yeah. Lynch was, um, you know, he was offered Return of the Jedi.
0: Yeah, because he was big, big bankable film director, wasn't he? You know, he got a lot of credit from uh, Elephant Man stuff. So that was humongous yeah, hits, things like that.
1: Clearly, making a Victorian, uh, Victorian uh, period piece is clear, clear, uh, you know, clear link to making a massive sci-fi opera. <laughs> I don't know how Hollywood works. An
0: interview I saw with him, he deeply regretted taking on that project because it basically haunted his life and ruined his ruined his life for a while. Yeah, because um, they, you know, it pretty much destroyed his his directing career for a long time. Because of course he was just the guy that made that crappy June. When in and reality, it
1: because it bombed it, massively, didn't it?
0: Yeah, and it was never it's never his fault that it did that. No, But there you go.
1: No, did you like the new one by the way? I love I really it. I can't it. wait for the can't wait for the second one. Yeah, I think the new one's really good as well. Mm, really good. Yeah, very good. Um, here we go, June nineteenth of June, not to be confused with nineteenth of June. Um, is uh, for the first time BBC Two broadcast during the morning. We're not showing daytime on two. Programs began mm. at ten a.m. as opposed to lunchtime.
0: Not the morning.
1: <laughs> ten o'clock, Graham. <laughs> ten
0: o'clock. Yeah, what put... saw this on BBC Two? Bloody, I, I don't, I'm not used to watching it at that time. Get
1: it off. <laughs> I should be at work. Should be at work. <laughs> yes, you should, dear. What are you doing? Absolutely, Blade in like another one of those fake Sundays. <laughs> God, blimey, I'm late. <laughs> no, 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 Anyway, new shows. There's not there, not a lot going on in TV, but there was some new shows. Third of June, Young, Gifted and Broke. Yeah. Uh, it's a British sitcom. This they, actually British sitcom, which was essentially uh, about five teenagers working at an electronic shop on a YTS on the YTS Youth Training Scheme. Making a youth training scheme, YTS, into a sitcom is pretty much the height of late eighties Thatcherism, I think. Yeah, isn't it just isn't it actually, funny yeah. being on a YTS? It's really good and loads of fun and you can do it and you can do all that yeah. for twenty
0: six pounds a week. What a depressing show as well. If you wanted to if you actually wanted a live action version of that, just head to a local Curries.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the YTS was a nightmare, I remember growing up. I dreaded it. That's why Part of the reason why I went yeah. to the sixth form was, like, avoid YTS. Because yeah. you yeah. Were just shoved on them. You're like, you're yeah,
0: on a YTS. Given crappy pay and... It was yeah, £26 oh, oh. a week. Absolutely shocking. You'd never get away with it now.
1: Nope. Fifth of June, the 19th hole, some sitcom starring Eric Sykes. Mm. Eric Sykes. Yeah. Never heard of it. Eric Sykes
0: was quite a famous TV comedian, wasn't he? He did a few things like that.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he did... Uh,
0: is it Q9 or was that? That was Spike did, Milligan. Uh, Spike Milligan. is something to do with all of that sort of thing. Yeah, there was a TV show he did specifically, which I yeah. watching in the late very early 80s, but I can't remember what it was called.
1: No, I can't remember. I get, I get confused with Leonard Roster. <laughs> <laughs> he was in The Plank, I think, one of Eric Sykes.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's that
1: kind of... this? There was some comedy show he was famous for, but it escapes me what it was called. I'll look it up. Fifth of June was Huxley Pig. Yeah. <laughs> Some stop motion animated children's television series based on a picture series of picture books by Rodney Pepe. Oh,
0: Pepe, you are spoiling us. Uh, it was in a TV show by the way called Sykes. We should have figured that out, really, couldn't we?
1: There you go. <laughs> oh, with, Hattie, with Hattie Jakes, wasn't it? Yeah, Sykes, yeah. yeah. There we go. Uh, 6th of June, Sounds Like Music. Got this thing. <laughs> oh, this thing. <laughs> uh, this is a British game show. Um, it ran for uh, about a year. And was hosted by Bobby Crush. Good old Bobby Crush. <laughs> That's a name we would make up for a fake game show. It That's is. Not... And there he is. Good old Bobby Crush. There he is. it's Bobby Crush. Hello. Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> hiya. And Bobby hiya I'm Bobby Crush. <laughs> you watched that link, I presume. You watched the episode. I you did wa- watch or you watched it, yes, some so of it. <laughs> I watched
0: enough of it, yeah, with his crazy eyebrows. <laughs> it's just so boring. His eyebrows don't stop. Normal people's eyebrows they they frame their eye, you know, upper eye. His are almost like going in almost a semicircle around his around the side of his head.
1: So they're bizarre. really unruly. They're really uh, unruly. But it was also really boring. It was, <laughs> it was really so, boring. So boring. It's an insomniac's dream if they had any.
0: Yeah, the bit I saw there was. I mean, apart from the fact that the clapping sounded like an audience of about nine people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Never um, just, there was it? three
0: of the most boring people sat there, and introduced themselves in the most boring way, and then he's like, "So, well, this is the game. We're going to play you some songs, and you tell me what they are." I'm like, "Oh God, is that it?" Yeah. And then the music came, but it was some crappy opera or classical music that no one really is going to know. It's it was like, d- what? It Who's dreadful? <laughs> what is this it's so bad. And they're really close together. They were sat so close together, the three contestants. It's like everyone cramming to that desk. When you got one of
1: them, but goodness <laughs> yeah. me, though tight quarters. Well, it's like <laughs> that thing we watched the other week with uh, where they had uh, Kenny Everett. What's the face? All on that one table. That's <laughs> yes, what I mean. They're like cramming got them a dining in. table. Yeah, That's what we're filled <laughs> with. <laughs> so crap. So boring. If you didn't like oh, that dear. game show, though, could have watched on the next day. Everybody's equal. <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't have wanted to, though. <laughs> originally, uh, this was uh, uh, hosted by Chris Tarrant, It was, it was later was revived it. under the name Whittle and Aired. Not Whittle and Aird. Whittle and Aired on Channel 5 <laughs> in uh, 1997. It Tell did. us about Everybody's Equal, Graham. You seem to have uh, so, noted a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: it's a game. It's obviously Everybody's Equal is a game show. Now, the title sequence, right, is full of stereotypes. Remember, it's called Everybody's Equal. Yep. <laughs> the te- title sequence featured uh, a breakdancing black guy, a dotty and smiley OAP, a leering construction worker, a scanty model that he was leering at, and then a sneering secretary, all to the kind of music a five-year-old with a broken Bontempi keyboard would be proud of. Taron then leapt into view dressed in the worst suit you can imagine and a dreadful tie, and then quickly cracks a really sexist, crappy joke about female workers at a Christmas do, Yep. The whole thing's not a dissimilar format to like the 1%, which is a recent show, or 15 to 1. Only they have secret info on the participants of the show who are all in the audience. It all yeah. gets needlessly over-sexualized within seconds with Tarrant doing that really weird noise that he does. Have you noticed the Tarrant yeah. noise? He's talking, he goes, uh-huh. and go, uh-huh. it's just this noise, I can't do it. It's really, like puts you on edge, you're like, oh God. He does the Tarrant. So he does the Tarrant noise. He cracks a joke about him being at a Christmas party and there's too many women for him to handle. And then he goes, and uh-huh. it's like, uh it's 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 scary. Yeah. Anyway, and the the prize fund was a total of a thousand pound.
1: It was. Who want that? Don't know. <laughs> Someone in that audience, and there's a picture there which is a pastel nightmare. Look <laughs> at the audience for the show. It's the Goodness or it's me. the uh, shittiest Photoshop color wheel ever.
0: They're <laughs> not doing much for the E and D, there are they? Really? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Uh, everyone's equal in Parade. Everyone's, everyone's equal. equal.
1: Yeah. Everybody's equally pastel. Um, <laughs> Shit is Photoshop colour wheel, isn't it? God, that's terrible. Yep. Uh, 7th of June, you could have watched Split Ends. You wouldn't, though. <laughs> why did you you made me you, you linked to an episode <laughs> well, I and couldn't I, watched the beginning. I couldn't believe it was there <laughs> even the canned laughter on this sounded embarrassed that's what I noted <laughs> it really did Noted. <laughs> jokes are so so crap that bit where Anita Oof. Dobson it's got Anita Dobson is <laughs> running a hairdresser shop when she turns to the camera and goes men I was, I was like
0: ah, <laughs> <laughs> so bad it's like when the woman walks in if the opening even you can imagine it's this opening scene and manageress walks around badly created salon and then token worker walks in and goes, oof, oh, I've had trouble with me men. Oh, men, men being men and all the men, 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 men. It's like, oh, that's what it's going to be, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good job they're in a hairdresser's. Nothing, you know, nothing says a successful businessman <laughs> in the 80s of them being a hairdresser, does it?
1: Terrible. It was dreadful. As was the and Anita one. Dobson as well. Oof. Well, you know, everyone could fall in love. Nights of June, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Absolutely. I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. This is a Norman Lovett sitcom. I never, I don't, I don't remember this. Um, obviously, you might remember Norman Lovett. He's, he was Holly in the first few series and the late series of Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's playing in version of himself who's an inventor living in a world of surrealism with his talking dog, voiced by Jeffrey Hughes. It's Eddie Yates, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, voice, but, but yeah, it, it's not good. It's no, not good.
0: It's, it's, it's written by, written and performed by someone who was clearly mad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just really odd. Well, there you go. 11th uh, of June, We Are Seven. Yeah. Uh, just, let's move on. 11th uh, of June was The Manageress. Um, yeah, this was we... a sort of drama about
0: football team manager, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, football team. Ch- Sherry Lungi was in it. He was yeah, uh, Gary's
0: favourite. He liked Sherry Lungi ever since uh, the Excalibur. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he did, didn't
0: he? He had a, he had a real thing about Sherry Lungi. Yeah, he's like, oh, Sherry Lungi. I'll be watching that. You won't <laughs> was,
1: be watching it, but okay. <laughs> it was rubbish. All TV yeah. shows, all TV football shows, are generally dreadful. Yeah, it um, didn't look very good. No, it, it wasn't. Uh, *Under with was Tales of Sherwood Forest. This wasn't what I was expecting. Eric, the owner of a nightclub in Nottingham, is obsessed by the film *Casablanca* and dreams of being Rick Blaine. What's that got to do with Tales of Sherwood Forest? I was expecting Uh, some Robin Hood
0: type thing. Okay, I didn't didn't expect that. I didn't look into
1: it, but I didn't (laughs) expect it. No, but it starred Pete Postlethwaite. Do you? Go figure. Uh, 12th of June, rules of engagement. Um, This sounded weird as well. Tensions are high between the USA and Soviet Union over a US submarine that's sunken near Russian waters. In England, as the threat of nuclear war looms, government Mm. bureaucrat Martin Goodman is appointed controller of the city of Portsmouth. Goodman orders the city placed under curfew, locking off okay. all traffic in and out, rationing fuel, and replacing news with TV reruns. At what? the same time, Goodman's wife, Joanna, finds a card from his mistress, Suzanne Wallace, in his coat. She hires ex-Royal Marine, Dave Gillespie, to spy on Goodman and return with proof. I mean, when you've got the threat of nuclear war looming, <laughs> the, the fact that your husband might be cheating on you, at least to your concerns, just <laughs> the, the least you your worries. Has the power to control Portsmouth? <laughs> it's dead weird, isn't it? I'm shutting <laughs> yeah. off Portsmouth. I'm That's just it. running
0: reruns. I Sh- can only <laughs> shut down all the TV stations in Portsmouth.
1: <laughs> I can only assume <laughs> that it's the uh, guy who was running TVAM. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's played out like that. Um, the Bureau de Change, isn't it? In
1: uh, I watch a little day. bit of that fact because all six episodes are on YouTube. If you want to watch them, I won't. But um, <laughs> um I'll, I'll stick to, stick to uh, what <laughs> I, I was know. We- I was like reading, go. What the hell is this? Sixteenth yeah. uh, June is after the war. Um, never watched it. Never watched it. Sixteenth, also sixth of June, Morning Sarge. Mm, oh, this was totally another good. hilarious uh, sitcom set in a police station. Mm, dear. Uh, um, and twenty second of June, uh, Traffic. That's actually pretty good. Traffic. Uh, yeah, I mean, what is it? Uh,
0: it's a nineteen eighty nine British TV series about the illegal drug trade. Um, Three stories interwoven with arcs told from the perspectives of Afghan and Pakistani growers, obviously dealers and manufacturers, but dirty drug dealers and that with British users. At the time, nominated for six BAFTAs, winning three of them, including Best Drama Series and Serial, won an international Emmy for Best Crime Drama film the film Traffic directed by Steven Siller was based on this miniseries. In turn the two thousand and four American television miniseries Traffic was also based on both versions, which is a bit convoluted as you say, but <laughs> <a> lot, but <laughs> I, I would recommend all the episodes of Traffic, the original series, are on YouTube and I would recommend you watch them. It's actually a very, very good show. Yeah. Um so I do it's it is it. worth watching. It's that. quite it is quite good. Quite hard hitting and quite you know, but at the time those kind of shows were very unusual. So it's mm. pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. If you weren't interested in watching anything at, on, at home on your TV, you could have gone to the cinema. And on 2nd of June, you had a plethora of... Of scary movies. You did the first one, Warlock. Warlock is a 1989 American supernatural horror film. It starred Julian Sands as the title character. who is a son of Satan who yeah, travelled from the be. late 17th century to the modern era with a mission of destroying the world. Um, also starred Laurie Singer and Richard E. Grant as a 20th century woman and a 17th century witch hunter attempting to stop him. Mm, I forgot yeah. Richard E. Grant was in that. You know, I've just realised actually reading this, I'd completely forgotten about this film. The plot I had for a vampire film is exactly that <laughs> oh, bummer I, I read the first 20 pages so I was like I just read that and went ah oh, crap <laughs> <laughs> oh, bummer it is it, changed it, it's different a giant it's vamp- squid in it it's vampires which makes it all the better um, I, I always remember this in the cinema uh, sorry in the video video rental stores
0: no oh, it's popular Warlock it was always
1: in there. that yeah um, but uh, unfortunately I mean recently he went missing didn't he and died Julian Sands. he
0: did yeah they found his remains yeah I mean, he's, he sad. went missing and died in the San Gabriel mountains outside of Los Angeles
1: yeah he went hiking never came back he did um, did you like this film
0: I have vague memories of it there being one scene in it about somebody getting all the fat sucked out of their body or something
1: is that this one or something like that uh, maybe
0: but I remember, I remember it being pretty good, unusual at the time. But, you know, I'll have to yeah. watch it again. It's bound to be 80s crap, though, but I'll watch it again.
1: Yeah, it's unusual because it's two, two British leads, isn't it? Grant yeah, Sands, yes, it is. It's so yeah. always a bit yeah. different. Um, if you didn't fancy Warlock, can't remember which of you could have gone seen. Child's Play, the infamous Child's Play. This was an American horror comedy that focuses on Chucky, Chucky the doll, Chucky. It was voiced by Brad DeRiff. Uh, so essentially, he, he's a serial killer, isn't he? And he gets killed in a, he's on the run from the police and he gets killed in a toy store and his, his essence, Transf- his blood. Yeah, he transfers, transfers his into soul the, into the doll, yeah. Into one of the dolls, yeah. So then that doll is then bought. He's a good guy doll and it's, it's kind of one of the original, you know, dolls go crazy films, isn't it? I'm yes, sure, yeah. It's but doll b- film.
0: B- yeah, very much so, yeah. Outside of the sort of crappy black and white things, yeah, it is,
1: yeah. Yeah. Did, did you like this? It's Chris Sarandon as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, now I remember the first one being quite good because it was quite unique at the time mm. and obviously it had really silly sort of visual effects such as they were but the Brad Dourif is always a very compelling bad guy character and his voice acting is amazing yeah I didn't realize that Mark Hamill did the reboot but he yeah. was very good in it um but I've never I've never like you I've never watched all the sequels i kind of watched Charles play and I think I've maybe seen bits of the others but they're all yeah. much of a muchness after the first one aren't they so yeah
1: yeah because they're still going they're still remaking them out there's because it was Bride of Chucky and all that kind yeah, of Yeah, it's they? where it
0: all gets just stupid after that, you know. And yeah. It's sort of it's just a essentially just a little doll child running around stabbing people, which is just a bit I don't know, it looks a bit like the beginning of Halloween.
1: Um, if you didn't fancy either of those and that scared you enough, you could have gone and seen Paper House. I never I it never would. rated this. I was not a big fan of Paper no, House.
0: No, I didn't think it was very good either. It was just overrated and it was just, you know, another one where the cover rented it out a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember. That. I always remember that cover the the house in the background, and the kid going Ooh, looking scary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sixteenth of June, you could have seen women if you know taking a couple of weeks off. You could have gone and seen women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. You could. Which I, I'm not even sure if I ever watched this.
0: Pedro Almodovar's movie. Yeah, it's very good. Pedro Almodovar. Actually.
1: Yeah, what's the one where two men beat each other up with hams? Is That's that ham, on, on, ham, ham on Ham Ham. Yeah, you know? yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you seen this? Did you like this? Have you a fan of? Yeah, it's women yeah, on it's
0: yeah, it's a good film. All of. Um, Madhava's films are actually very good and they're unusual so and it's very well directed and of course it's got a very young Antonio Banderas in it as well mm-hmm. and he's always watchable in all of the films he's in so I mean I, my personal favourite is obviously Puss in Boots when he does the voiceover for <laughs> Cat in that but that's just me
1: what not Assassins um, no, the best no, no no,
0: no <laughs> yeah he's good in the films the films aren't always good I think that's it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that that is a very good you know, a good film from Pedro Almodovar. If you like that style, then go and watch the others that he does because all of his films are kind of that way, mm. quirky. You know,
1: yeah, it weirdly turned up in that new uh, Indiana Jones film as well, didn't he? He did. Yeah, it was really odd. Yeah, it's like that's that's, that's Antonio Banderas. What's yeah, he doing there? Why, what's
0: he doing there? It's just dragging anybody into that thing to try and give yeah, it some kind of true. strength.
1: If you didn't fancy being on the verge of a nervous breakdown, though, you could have gone to see this, and I did, and I regretted this massively. Because <laughs> it was Hellbound, Hellraiser Two. Oh dear! Me and my brother oh, went to see dear. this one Sunday oh, night, dear. and it was like we sat there watching it, going, <laughs> "This is crap." Yeah. Uh, what do you say about Hellraiser <laughs> Two? It, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's genuinely in terrible every way,
0: but I can't help but I I say I find I find the fun in it. I, I actually always found the Hellraiser universe quite compelling. This is a rubbish film, though. I mean, really rubbish, and it's just. But it's a, clearly a victim of all sorts of strangeness going on with it. It doesn't hmm. really make a lot of sense, actually. But um, and the script is just bad. I mean, it is the dialogue is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's so bad. They're coming, and the acting yes, is just as wood. I mean, considering the, the caliber of some of the actors in there, because obviously Kenneth Cranham's a good actor. Doug Bradley isn't bad in what he does, but it's just. A couple of the other characters in it are just really crappily acted. It's bad. Uh, Yeah. And it's just, or hammy acting, or worse than campy hamming, it's not very good. Now, it did lead me to find something quite interesting, and we we can look at the plot of Hellraiser too, which is more, you know, someone opens a box and more weird shit comes out.
1: Yeah. Principally.
0: Mm -hmm. But I found a website that lists every Cenobite from the the Hellraiser movies, (laughs) all of them, including the new reboot, 2022 reboot. Um, And some of these have got good names, some of them are, I suppose what you call them is explanatory names. Roy Walker named some of them, I think it's safe <laughs> to say. just <laughs> <It's interesting>. Say <laughs> like what you see there. What's, so you've got, you, so you got Pinhead, obviously, who's got a head full of pins. The female Cenobite is also known as Deep Throat. Nobody I know called it that. that somebody's added that to make it sound cool or it was nah. just female Cenobite. The that's the one who's got, it, like, the, uh, the that's sort like, of things that's to Smurfette,
1: it, yeah. isn't it? She's the Smurfette, you
0: know? Yeah, kind She's of, yeah. There's Butterball, which is clearly just an upside-down thumb. Um, <laughs> obviously, Chatterer, because he chatters a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the Doctor, which is obviously Dr. Chenard out of Hellraiser 2, which is what we're talking about. He's the one that gets the thing on his head and goes all, he gets all gurgly, doesn't he, and weird. <laughs> then we're getting to the ones that, it all starts to go downhill for Hellraiser 3. So you've got Barbie, which is one that's covered in barbed wire. <laughs> You've got Camera Head, who's the guy with a camera in his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently, was his these name are called S- What was his camera name? Camera Head. Camera Head. head. These are, are pseudo-Cenobites, apparently. There's also CD Head. It was just a guy with loads of CDs glued to his head.
1: That was the DJ, Won it, from the, the scene in the nightclub? Yeah, in three, he was the, yeah in,
0: in the boiler room nightclub, yeah, and he gets loads of CDs in his face. There's Dreamer. She appears as the pseudo, another pseudo-Cenobite in Hellraiser 3. There's Piston Head. <laughs> It was a guy with a camera through his tripod through his head. Why is Piston, I don't know. There's Angelique, uh, Siamese Twins, Chatterer Beast, Wire Twins, who are two sort of weird wiry twins. There's Chatterer Torso, Stitch, who's just got loads of stitches, Surgeon. Actually, the Surgeon one is actually pretty creepy looking. There's one called Bound. Then you've got Bound 2. You see what I mean? They just don't keep naming them cool things. Don't just get Bound 2, honestly. Little Sister, wonder where they got that from. Female Cenobite 2, also known as Chatterer 4, inexplicably. <laughs> um, pseudo Pinhead, the Gasp, the Weeper, who looks quite creepy, but looks a bit like the um, Jeepers Creepers thing. Mm-hmm. The Asphyx, there's the Mask, the Mother, Roland Voigt. <laughs> and that's all you're getting. That's it. That's all there is. That's all the Cenobites you could name. I mean, how many more do you want, really? That's too many. Too many. Yeah, well, how many films is there now? There's, there's about what sixteen films of the oh, franchise. I don't like know. That? I don't all know. All crap, mostly crap.
1: <laughs> yeah, generally terrible. I yeah. went. I've I watched, watched the, rewatched
0: them all recently, and they're not good.
1: Yeah, I watched the first one recently, and it's not good.
0: No, it's not. It's not. It's really, it's really not good. Uh, it's gross, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really. Unple- uh, one it's thing unpleasant. you can say about the first one is it's really g- gloopy, gross in that kind of eighties gloop. Second yeah. one tries to do that, doesn't quite work out. When you are looking at a giant rotating diamond. You're like what's that? What is that thing? And it all gets a bit blah blah blah. He done it with the script. Um. Anyway, that's anyway,
1: enough said. Enough said about Hellraiser two. Uh, also, same day there was Lady in White. Um, yeah, I don't remember much about that. No, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, it Follows a schoolboy, Lucas Haas, who, after witnessing the ghost of a young girl, becomes embroiled in a mystery surrounding a series of brutal child murders. Oh God, sounds a bit a, deep. That took a turn, didn't it? Mm. That sounds like that, um that Kevin Bacon film, Stare of Echoes. Yeah, similar. Really, yeah. Like 23rd of June, though, you probably could have gone, should have gone, seen this. I didn't. I saw it on video when it finally arrived, sort of thing. And that is They Live. Yeah, I wish I'd have seen that at the cinema at the time. I've subsequently seen it at the cinema, but I wish I'd have seen it at
0: the time. But Gary convinced me to watch the stupid pirate copy he had.
1: Yeah, that's what I watched as well. <laughs> stupid
0: blurovision.
1: vision <laughs> Girl, Gary. Well, I mean, what do you say? I love They Live. Mean, they Live's great. And They Live yeah, gets more, more and more relevant every year as stupid as it is as it was back then you know it's rowdy roddy piper and the longest fight scene ever and the thing is he plays
0: a retired wrestler which he is now
1: yeah but the thematic sort of film of the you know the ruling class the upper class just being a race of aliens strip mining the earth for their own good and their own profit sort of thing Mm. well 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 there we are (laughs) yeah okay um
0: oddly prophetic
1: yeah very much so um and and it's it's great fun. It's a, just a great fun Carpenter film. I it's, don't yeah. I don't think the ending works particularly well. No,
0: Carpenter doesn't do endings really well. He's final acts he's got final actitis, hasn't he in some of these Yeah, games.
1: it's the it's, it's the it's the sort of you know the downbeat. And then this one it's you know, he he manages to blow up the thing and, and hey baby, what's what's right? wrong, baby? <laughs> what's wrong, baby? <laughs> what's wrong, baby? Yeah, the gratuitous Stupid. sort of ate his breath yes. Um but But the rest of the film is great. It's really, really, really cleverly done. There's some really, really clever ideas and stuff in it, and obviously it's immensely quotable, incredibly well quotable. Um, It's probably Carpenter's most quotable film, I think. Um, Yeah, actually, I don't know. I suppose Escape. Well, they. Uh, big trouble, Skate
0: from New York, big trouble. This, what well, they're up there in the upper echelons yeah. of you know, I come um, here to chew the, bubblegum the, and kick ass and all that. And but it's like just it.
1: the underlying thematic of this film that you know that that keeps it. I think just makes it more and more relevant. I just think it's an amazing film. Um, yeah.
0: in, in, in a twenty-five-minute fight scene is always good.
1: <laughs> over trying to get someone to wear a pair of glasses, could just, just put them on? I always think just <laughs> yeah. put them on, and you're not going to get punched <laughs> it, a lot. But I like the fact that he, he just won't. That's what my favorite <laughs> yeah. thing
0: about it is. He just blatantly won't he basically has to knock him unconscious and even then he almost doesn't get them on his face and it's just I love the fact that he's like I'm not putting them on no matter what you say I'm not going to put them on Yeah, I love it it's so, so stupid it's the bit after that that always makes me laugh I mean I've watched it so many times but after the fight, they're both walking down the street, really badly bruised and <laughs> yeah. lumpy of face. It's really funny. Really and sort funny. Of can
1: barely walk. They're both like, oh. Yeah, they're
0: shuffling along, both like, and he's like looking around at all this weird stuff. He's like, what the hell was that? And he's like, they take it in and he's just all lumps and smashed in face where they've just been literally knocking 10 balls of shit out of each other.
1: Yeah, because, well, it's a great pairing of Roddy Piper and Keith David. Oh, brilliant. It's the best thing Roddy Piper ever did. Well, yeah. I don't even think I know if I saw him in anything else. Hell Comes to Frogtown. Town. He was oh, good yeah. That?
0: yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't. One, it wasn't it's a crap film.
1: It is a dreadful <laughs> film, but this is just a really really cleverly made, well done, well directed, you know, it's Carpenter at the when he was just knocking these films out left, right and center through the 80s. And uh really? it's it's a brilliant film. So, you know, if you've picked one from this week, just go watch They Live again. You probably all seen so it before, good. but I'm going to watch you, I'm going to rewatch it again. Do yourself a favor and watch it again because it's ace. Hey,
0: yeah. You won't be sorry. They you've got two guns. You're not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a dumb film but it, just, it kills me every time hey lady
1: <laughs> beat your feet you beat your feet <laughs> beat your feet <laughs> i mean arguably you could probably say the next film is probably better but not in my not in my book because uh you, on the same day there's do the right thing yeah another good film yeah spike lee's do the right thing I, i've seen this but i don't remember much of it i have to say do you-
0: same a long no, it's a long time since i I mean and i'd say i haven't made a habit of watching a lot of spike lee films which is something i will i am going to correct but i remember watching this many many moons ago probably with gary actually yeah. or, i seem to remember gary being involved Um <laughs> but um and i remember it being good i just remember thinking that i enjoy things like they live more so
1: yeah yeah yeah, I mean, Do the Right Thing is, I think, probably critically better, I would say. But, yeah, totally. You know, but, but, it's, but I was
0: it's, into horror slash sci fi, so, you know, and there's a lot of horror slash sci fi out, you know, ch- just Chucky Warlock and that alone, those three alone. Few exactly.
1: Of um, you could have also gone seeing Dead Bang, <laughs> that title. <laughs> it's a
0: Frankenheimer movie, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's he famously did some fairly pretty, pretty serious
1: films, didn't he, So, But he also directed, or was. Was brought on to do the island of Doctor Moreau, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, So I mean. So he's that. done some you know he's done some good stuff. It's a good it's meant to be and it read like a good film, but I'd never seen it.
1: Don Johnson in a <laughs> Yeah, he was always
0: watchable in things. Yeah, but it's just watchable. that name,
1: Dead Bang. I can't yeah. I get past it. Yeah, it's a crappy title. Um there's also Married to the Mob, that was on this day. Um Jonathan Demi film. Didn't realise it was Jonathan yeah. Demi. Obviously would go on to yeah. do uh, Science of the Lambs. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Matthew
0: Dean. Yeah. yeah, good on Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. She's in an 80s crazy phase of, you know, just knocking it out of the park with being sort of super attractive in everything she was in.
1: He was. Uh, there was also Le Petit don't know. It's a little thief. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't really think about this
0: no at this, this point I wasn't watching a lot of French cinema
1: no it was, it was based on a Truffaut script that he, he died before filming so it's set in the French countryside at the end of World War 2 it's still the story of a 15 year old girl abandoned by her parents who is looking for love and independence but succumbs to stealing and sleeping with men classic Truffaut sounds yeah. a bit dubious to me but what do I know however if all that weren't enough 30th of June could have gone seeing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade could have done that and you, I would have definitely done that and so I definitely, know I did yeah I definitely did as well yeah um, watching that in the cinema. Do we need to say a lot about this? I mean, it's the third installment, the last great one.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the, th- the only things to note are this was obviously the second one's famous for its dark Temple of Doom is famous for its dark theme. And it's because Lucas and there was lots of people going through bad times in their lives when they made it. Lucas was going for a painful divorce at the time. So and, it's and it, it kind of shows. Think, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was also in a, just, in, you know, he'd suddenly become attracted to Kate Capshaw, hadn't he? Yes. So they, so they sort of began their, their, their relationship began on that. Mm. So you can sort of tell that they're both kind of in that place because there's no real heart in Temple of Doom. It's a good film, but it's just, it's a really weird indie film. Yeah. Um, Whereas this one's much more of a return to the kind of of classic indie that you know. Nothing else to say about the film, but it is a great film. And the tank chase sequence remains one, I think, one of the greatest action sequences of all time in film. Yeah. It's just amazing. It is very good. It is amazing.
1: Did all his own stunts, didn't he, Harrison Ford, at that point? Yeah. It's just the
0: entire sequence with that tank is from start to finish, brilliant in that film. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and just because it's co- just continuously building on one thing after another, after another, after yeah. another. Classic Spielberg direction. I mean, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You knew exactly what that sequence was going to be like in his head and he shot it exactly as you imagine it would be. And it's it's just perfect. I love it. I, I'll re-watch yeah. it any time, that. By tank, you mean the belly of the steel beast. Belly of the steel beast. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just everything about... I love everything about it. It's just such a cleverly everything, right, right up to the end when... He thinks he's lost him when he's gone over the edge and hes it's just, everything about it is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Everything.
1: Not going to argue.
0: I love that moment where he comes over and just looks over the edge with them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So good. Yeah, So good. If you didn't fancy that, you could have gone and seen Dirty Ron Scoundrels. You could, uh, if you want a I bit did. of the old Michael Caine. I went uh, and saw this because I was a big fan of uh, Steve Martin at the time.
0: Yeah, um, it is quite good.
1: It is. It's a funny. So they're, they're a pair of... Um, I think it's a remake, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah comment re- out there. Um, yeah. 1964, Marlon Brando, Niven, film, bedtime story. So they're, they're yeah, they're too common. They're trying to uh, con what they think is this uh, heiress out of a lot of money. But that's right. Does it turn out that they're the ones being conned? <laughs> yeah, and they're, at,
0: yeah, and they're out trying to out con each other as well. And it's quite yeah. funny, and well, it, yeah, yeah, it's it
1: good. Finally, for the month, uh, you could have gone and seen Miles from Home. This was an action thriller starring Richard Gere and Kevin Anderson. Yes. Mm.
0: Never heard of it, never seen it. No, one of those um, sort of you
1: know, classic gear movies where he just looks wistfully at the camera a lot and goes, eh? (laughs) Oh, those. Yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those. And that's it. That was your TV. Loads of films. Loads of good films. Not much in the way of TV though, but uh, that's it. We're going to come back. We're going to go, sorry, we're going to go take a break. Then we're going to come back. We've still got three more games to get through and a crapper and the charts and what's coming next week. So please do stick around. We'll see you in a bit. Welcome back. Welcome back to part three. We still have three games, as I said. Three games to get through. Let's waste no time. Let's get into the first one. And that game, Graham, is Octoplex. Octoplex. This is from MAD. Ooh. Mastertronic Added Dimension. This was mm. £2.99. Um, this was developed by MC Lothlorian. There's a Middle Earth DJ gag in there, isn't there? Have we ever cracked it before? I'm sure, I'm sure we have. We said it, we did last <laughs> in the last episode. We said yeah. that we sounded like a Scottish <laughs> DJ. It was coded by John Buckley, uh, had graphics by Lee Corley, and music by Tony Williams. There's a story here, and even in an opening cutscene to introduce the game. Oh, la, la, there is. I know, I know fancy, smancy. You have somehow managed to annoy the great wizard Zolt, and for doing this, he has turned you into a subatomic mutant and imprisoned you in his giant molecular compound. Although, if you ask Subatomic, does he need a giant prison? Maybe he does. (laughs) you really? You'd get lost in it. Uh, Anyway, that giant molecular compound is known as the Octoplex. Your only way out is to reach the central molecular lattice. Sounds Sounds like something you'd have on your lunch. Where your increased molecular weight will unbalance the intricate structure and thus release you in a spectacular nuclear burst. That doesn't sound good to okay. me. That a nuclear burst bad. is never <laughs> a nuclear burst is never a good thing for anyone, anything in the local vicinity. What do I know? I'm no nuclear physicist. The game starts with a nice title screen. There's some nice font work and a high score table and some chilled but pretty decent music to listen to. That was all right. Music. Um, yeah, okay. No options to speak of. Pressing fire greets us, but sorry, but pressing fire greets us with a shot of the wizard on the right of the screen, zapping you on the left as you beg for mercy for whatever you've done to annoy him. And it changes you into what, to me, looked like the sort of less good-looking brother of the character from Nebulous. <laughs> I think. So it's sort of that kind of look. You're a sort of little green yeah. blob thing with legs. Uh, and from there, you're whisked into the game. And what we are greeted with is a top-down painter-style game. Okay. I guess it's a painter-style game. Each level is a series of smallish mazes that get bigger as you progress. And the aim of the game is to traverse every inch of the maze and you essentially just colour it in. So as soon as you move over a part of it, you've you sort of coloured that bit in You've got to do the whole maze. Once the maze is coloured, a number of molecules, which are just flashy, glowy things, will be released around the maze, and you must then collect all those to progress to the next more complex maze, and so on. I, it didn't actually say how many mazes there were, and I didn't finish it, so I don't know how many there are. I don't know if you've got that a note of that, but there seems to be quite a lot. Quite know. a lot. <laughs> of course, things are not as easy as that, and there are numerous elements in your way that make complete, completing the mazes more difficult. The first are the subatomic nasties, that's the instructions name for them, that patrol the mazes. These move along the paths at the same speed as you, um and some even shoot at you and contact with one of these or the bullets will cost you one of your three lives lose all three and it is game over for you you are dead and you'll be trapped forever in mm, the oct- in the octoplex in this giant molecular complex whatever it compound whatever it is you are armed however with an electro pulse generator but at first you have no ammo for it so it's essentially you've got an empty whatever you can find ammo in the maze though and this will give you five shots um, you can fire, you can pick up multiple uh, ammo, but you can only carry up to a maximum of 10 shots at any one time. Um, and you can use these shots to shoot the enemies when they're heading towards you. This gets rid of them for a short time, but they will respawn quite quickly and be moving about the maze once again. So you only get a brief respite from them. The maze itself also has a series of gates. Uh, These come in two kind of different ways. Some of these are timed and will open and close at set intervals, kind of like jaws, They're like sort of metal jaws, and they sort of open and you move through them, but uh, they can also close. When they close, you can't move through them. Also as well, if they close while you're in them, you don't die. You're just stuck for the time being. Um, And these can be annoying if being chased by an enemy, especially if they're closed because you can't get through them and you have to wait and an enemy will kill you other gates though are numbered and their state can be changed by going over the same numbered switch so they start off locked but uh, generally but if you go so if they're, like i said if they're locked or they're open if you go over the switch with the same number it will close or open it and vice versa so if you keep going over that switch um they flick from open to closed open to close and they've, they've got numbers on it so you go over the number two and it opens all the number twos on the maze number threes open all the number threes that's what happens. You can stay on a switch though until all the do- the doors will keep cl- opening and closing if you can see them. So you can just sort of stand there on the on the thing until you've got it to the where you want it to be. But remember, those enemies are always patrolling, so staying still. Not such a good idea because they will close in on you and they will kill you while you're stood there. There are also pulse gates as well, and these need to be shot to be opened, and these appear later on in the later mazes. And that's really you know what I found. That was kind of it. There's other things as well that you can find, but I didn't quite work out what they were, and the the instructions were a bit hazy on what some of the extra um things that you picked up where as in didn't really say anything about them so it was i didn't really know what was going on sometimes the mazes themselves get quite tricky quite quickly with multiple enemies moving about um after the first one and you've got to work out the correct way to progress through as you need to visit certain parts of the maze first to find the switch to open certain locks that unlocks um access to other parts of the maze which will then will have the lock you know the switch to actually open other locks and so on and so forth so it's it's kind of a a learning process where you're kind of running around the maze at first but you'll run into a dead end and you'll be like oh where's the opening for this and there's you've you've gone in the wrong direction and so you have to keep trying the maze over and over and over again Mm -hmm. um when you get into the later mazes and you don't have a lot of lives it gets fairly tricky to do because death can be quite quickly because you can get trapped quite easily and one of those monsters comes and you're dead so yeah, that's that's kind of the game. You're kind of sort of trying to learn these mazes and sort of you have to essentially you're trying to learn to speed run them to work out the best route to take through the the mazes. Mm-hmm. It looks okay for what it is. Um, the smooth full screen scrolling um, which is always nice to see and it uses the bottom border for the ui and that's also nice to see which shows your lives the time left to complete the level and what along with what looked like a hamburger a weird hamburger shape <laughs> um, but i wasn't sure what that was for i think what it is is the amount of the maze you've covered up so far because i think there's a yeah, bar in the that. middle that slowly fills up and i think that's that tool sort of but it fills up really slowly. So it's hard to tell because obviously the percentage that it's moving at, it's only got like about 15 pixels. So (laughs) it takes ages to do anything. The sprites, they're okay, I guess. Uh, It's seen from the top. So it's a top-down game. There's sort of jelly-like enemies that move about you know, it's all and the maze is like a, just a series of tubes. It's just a series of lines, and they all things connect at ninety degrees. But it all works. It's got a decent aesthetic. It's fine for what it is. The music throughout is decent enough, and I thought it's kind of got a weird, sad, melancholic feel to it as you play. Hmm. Adds a bit of a somber uh, atmosphere to the proceedings. Yeah, it's, I'd say that. Um, it's an odd one. It's not, but the game itself, it's not perfect though. All right, it's all right. I found the controls a tad unresponsive at times. We've had this in other games where they expect you to hit ninety degree turns. Um, mm. There was that other one we played, which was sort of similar to this, where you were it's left to right scrolling instead, and you had to sort of go up and down. Yeah. Um. So you are having to turn at perfect right angles. So you'd be moving right or left, and then you've got to you know the the turning what you're going is right is a perfect upwards. So you've you've got to press up as soon as you're right at the right place to sort of go up. But if you don't, you kind of get a diagonal. You don't don't recognise it, uh, or it might recognise it, or it might not. I don't know. Sometimes I think either yeah. up or right or left is overriding. It's, it's a bit weird. It's just sometimes when do it wouldn't turn it it would just carry on in the direction i was moving this gets very annoying when coupled with the enemies as i said they move at the same speed as you and that gives you really very little margin for error at times you just chase down yeah. and blind out like you're dead uh, if they were slightly slower i think that would have been better you would have had a chance to get away or turn and shoot them because that's also another annoyance the way that you shoot Because you have to be moving to shoot, which is Mm. bloody frustrating. Because when you stop moving, you just face downwards. Um, And and so then you can't shoot. I would have much preferred if you kept facing the way you were looking and could shoot in that direction. Just remember the way. So you stop, you keep looking, then you can fire, you turn the other way, whatever it is. That would have been better. It allowed you to kind of like wait. But the problem is, is because if the enemies are right behind you, you've got to flick back and press fire you just don't have enough time. Out of time, and you'd be dead quickly. You've only got three lives. These mazes get quite mm-hmm. big, quite complex, quite quickly. Working out where the switches are and everything—it's a real memory test. This game, and one wrong turn can lead to a loss of a life, and that's it's, you're over. Game over, quite quickly. Um, and so, and this makes all this sort of thing having to moving towards the enemy to fortify the weapon. It makes traversing the maze. And, and I also thought the view was maybe just a little too zoomed in. Quite often. The is not bad and it scrolls with you so you're in the centre but you're a little bit just a little bit zoomed in. I think it could have been better just put the camera pulled out a little bit. Um, I just thought it made it just a a little bit harder than I felt it needed to be because death could be quite quick. You could, as I said, Easily get chased down a dead end due to the doors and switches that you don't might not know are there, um, and you just don't have enough at your disposal because you might have not any bullets or so the controls are not forgiving enough. So you might want to turn But so they won't follow you so much. They won't always be after you. They are kind of like Pac-Man ghosts. They don't always follow you. They'll just carry on. But if you're in a dead yeah. end, there's nowhere to go. So you know, um, you just don't have a decent chance to react on, on quite a lot of times. And I found death was more punitive than I really wanted it to be and sort of put me off sort of wanting to try and keep going with the game. On the whole though, I mean, it's okay. It's three quid. It's got a decent premise. There's some nice, I think there's a nice code base underneath it. I think it's quite good. It's, mm. it's, it's slick. There's a nice front end. Title screen's good. There's high score. Um, there's an opening little cut scene. The graphics work. The scrolling's nice. There's sprites in the border. All those kind of things are really good. There's a couple small, some design tweaks would have really let the player feel a little more incentivized to carry on. And I think this would have made this into another, like we said about some others, a bit of a lost budget classic that we didn't come across. But as it is, it didn't. And so it's not. It's almost there. It just needed a little fine tuning in the enemies and your abilities and the controls. And I think you've had a really good little cracker of a sort of uh, budget Mm. game here, but it's just not quite there. Um, What did it get? It got 70%. And I think that's probably about right. That's where I'd put it. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I quite like this. Um, A puzzle,
0: game that leans on an arcade-style heritage. With some success. It's a neat little game for three quid, really. Mm. Well presented, nice front end, loading screen, title screen, animated mini intro. Those are all good things. The nice little arcade tropes. It had that vibe. It had the arcade snappy vibe. Mm-hmm. Yep. The game itself was, it was nice to play with quite simple, where realized sort of, you know, fiendish puzzles, actually, I suppose is what you could describe them as. Quite hard when it gets into it. What, I suppose what you need to do looks easy, but it soon gets very tricky as you go around the map and you realize that you've opened the wrong door with a numbered gate, and the numbered gate has gone close the one behind you, and you've got to sort of. And there's a lot of backwards and forwards in which I suppose could get a little bit, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: bit annoying. And also, you're right; the view's just a little, just too zoomed in. Just a little step back would have just meant you had a little bit more view, and that would have given just given you a little bit more. I think It would have just worked a little bit better, mm-hmm. but. It's got those arcade tropes, so the parameters of the game are kind of immediately there on the screen, and it just builds on that challenge with what get, what become very complicated mazes, I have to say. I thought the graphics looked quite nice, effective enough sprites, good colours. The colours were quite nice on this, no, so no crazy colour schemes. Very smooth scrolling, simple UI in the bottom border, which is always nice to see that someone's taken the time to just think about that. Mm-hmm. Again, just arcade tropes. The music was unusual, I have to say, but it wasn't unwelcome. And like like you've said, actually, I've pointed out, I've uh, I've written the same thing here. It's the same familiar Sid melancholy that we've come across. I think it's just the Sid tones; they can have that kind of that kind of tone. Mm. Um, But it seemed to fit. It's unobtrusive, I suppose. It sort of fits in the game flow. Now, I'd never heard of it. I'd have been happy, I think, for three quid. I think zap gave it 70 percent, but they also gave it only 160 words of review space which is i think a little bit selling it short um i thought it aligned with the kind of budget puzzler inspired games of this type so with the bomb fusions the Slammys minds maybe not as good as that but that, that sort of ballpark, that's that sort of game space um but it's a good puzzler all in all I said for three pounds should it have been a bit higher maybe in the sort of 80s i don't know but It's it's I thought it was quite good fun. Now I think that can Action Service got forty four percent. So don't not sure. I think maybe it deserved a little bit more than that. Or maybe Action Service just was just grip.
1: Yeah, I think that's way too high.
0: (laughs) But for, for three quid, this isn't a bad old game and it's certainly one of the better budget games we've played in quite a while and certainly better than Real Ghostbusters and Titan, which are both full price, so make of that what you will Mm. i didn't think i thought it was okay
1: yeah it's a nice nice shading and stuff like so the colors on the maze like those little bubble ball things around the whole thing and then stuff so it's 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 got a nice aesthetic to it i just think it's just a bit too it's just a bit too punishing at at first yeah it's a tough old game it's tough but yeah it is you know it's just
0: one of those kind of games does it have that i've got to go on with it factor not quite but it's all right
1: yeah not quite not quite there you go it's all right all right, three quid. I think, yeah, you're right. Three quid, you'd be, you wouldn't be too dis- dissatisfied mm. with this. I think you'd be all right. Um, there you go. That's Octoplex. Two more games left for June. Let's get to them. <laughs> Graham, it's over to you. Are you a danger freak? Well, I might be. <laughs> this was nine
0: ninety nine from uh, Rainbow Arts, 48% though, in zap. So it's only half good. Which half? <laughs> um, the developers, Hape Software. The, it was coded by Hans Ippich. He did Bad Cat. You can tell as well. Um, mm. The graphics are Marcus Mucken Schnabel. Um, good name that. And the musician is Chris Uhlbeck. Uh, I suppose it's been a while since we had a stuntman game, isn't it? A little while. Well, or has it? Not really. We had stunt simulated so. back in episode 103 we had super stuntman back in episode 119 maybe it's just stunt games that are an un- underrepresented genre and you know maybe the stunt performers weren't getting their eight bit dues who knows <laughs> well there comes another game then to plug the blatant game gap that was existing this time i guess to say this as this time as i say from rainbow arts danger freak is set in the speedy and dangerous world of films in fact three individual films that are connected by an interlude um According to the blurb, Danger Freak is made up of three individual films. Um, Each film is made up of several phases and must be completed at the end of each level. You will be able to see the number of points you have earned. The number of points depends on the amount of danger, time, the number of cuts and your health. Um, and up to four players can take part in the game. In the interludes, all four players can play together at the same time. Um, you also have the possibility to play against the computer as well. That's as much of the information as I could get from that. Mm-hmm. So there are three films in this. The first film is called On a Highway to Hell. The second film is called Jet Bikers and Shark Hunters. And the third film is called The Flight of Icarus. Mm-hmm. Um, phase one of the first film, so you'll, get, you'll load the game and go through all the boo get the game, and you'll eventually get it started. Mm-hmm and um you'll notice that uh, it's a you start on a motorbike and the idea of the game is you've got to ride your motorbike from left to right avoid the hazards duck and jump over obstacles to get to the end quite nice graphics in this bit quite nicely animated yeah um, it's a little bit it's a little bit on the easy side um so things aren't that particularly difficult to do you find yourself just jumping a lot and you'll get you'll occasionally come off and obviously you've got a certain amount of cuts and a certain amount of things so obviously it's meant to be like filming and so you can't you're meant to try and do this in a fewer cuts as possible I guess in order to get the dollars and the more you know the better you do the more dollars you earn and that's the kind of the idea of this game is to be the one that earns the most dollars and it's Kind of a weird take on a multi-stunts, multi-event game. Only all the events kind of exactly the same with different modes of transport. And you have lives. So, Yeah, which is, again, we did that in the last stunt game, didn't we? We had lives in a stunt game. When we questioned it then, we're like, why does it have that? That's weird. Anyway, you ride your motorbike from left to right, avoid the hazards, and try and get to the end of that level. The next bit after that, you've got to jump onto a convertible car off your motorbike with crackerjack timing. It's really hard to do, I can tell you. Um, uh, And then when you do that, you land on the car. Then the car, you have to move the car with your joystick. And sort of move the convertible because the rope will drop from the sky. I'm guessing it's a helicopter, and the plan there is that you must leap, leap onto the rope and then away. onto That's the first film wrapped to wrap. Mm-hmm. Then you'll get your interlude, which is a top down track, principally straight from BMX Simulator, but really, really overly bendy and pointless. <laughs> Why? Why? And my feeling is it's because they these were these were games. These are all, I think, with the exception of maybe some of two of these. These are one game with different graphics. And there's something else shoehorned in for no good reason whatsoever. It doesn't no. really make any sense. No. So, and that's how it feels as well. These feels these feels like interconnected by the by the fact that the Euro characters are in them. And they are, you know, quite well drawn. The graphics on the motorbike are good, quite a reasonably sized sprite. the way his hair moves and the way he flies when he jumps. So those are all nice little touches. But there's nothing to it. It's just it's just really dreary. It's just that. And it's not a lot, no lot lot of visual feedback or de- or cues given to you. You're just kind of riding along until the end. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So then film two will start. Once you've gone through all of that, you'll get past that. And by the way, these, you just sort of go around the track and it just drives into an end bit and it just stops. It's like, there's no like, you won or anything. It's just like, eh. And then you have to wait for everyone to do it, which is really boring because the computer rider is really slow. And then it's like, what was, the, what was that even for? You get a bit of money and it's like, right, film two, jet bikers and shark hunters, jet bikes. We're back to bloody jet bikes again. It's jet ski. they jet skis. Christ, <laughs> sake, jet skis. So you're on the jet ski. Uh, jet skiing from left to right avoiding hazards including sharks that kind of shoot in and aim for you and other such water hazards very similar to the motorbike although i have to say the graphics in this bit are very effective so when you're actually sort of jetting through the water you get a nice sort of trail of water behind you in the water and the effects are actually pretty good it looks really nice this now this could have been almost if you'd have made this level into its own game with its own sort of logic and stuff you could have you could have played a budget game that was just that it would have been perfectly possible and it was certainly better than the other jet ski game we played so that, i thought this was it would have been a nice little game in its own way maybe a bit like a water-based version of um of uh you know some of the motorbike type stunt games that we yeah, yeah, What do yeah. you call it kickstart like a, a yeah. jet ski version of kickstart kick ski could have been kick ski couldn't it <laughs> Could have. Um, But it wasn't. Um, So it principally plays out exactly like the phase one of the first one on the motorbike, only you're on a jet ski this time. So you go over jet ski type things and jump in the water and jump out of the water and do all that kind of thing and avoid the shark, which is really easy because once the shark comes onto the screen, you know exactly where it's going to go. So you just move up out of the way. Boring. After that, you've got to jump onto a submarine in a very similar way to having to jump onto a convertible car, which then sort of moves off in the same way that a convertible car did. You then got to jump off the top of the submarine onto the hanging rope ladder again all feels very familiar all feels a bit dreary at this point and again you, after that you go into a, another dreary interlude which is exactly the same as the first interlude mm-hmm. which is also boring then you'll get to film three which is called flight of vicarus this is really weird this one because you're in they call it the bond mobile um <laughs> but you're in you're in what looks like a flying bullet meant to be some kind of J- james bond-esque sort of flying vehicle airplane but it just looks like you're in a short winged bullet, like a rocket you've been fired in. Mm-hmm. And again, you fly this thing from left to right, avoiding hazards and such and things that fly at you and everything. And eventually you'll actually get hit by a missile from behind. You can't avoid it. And then the thing will blow up and you'll shoot upwards into the sky and then you'll slowly descend on a parachute. As the parachute descends, you've then got to navigate your parachute and parachutist um, carefully onto a small landing pad all the time with a really weird smile on your face. And then when you do that and land, it's the end of the game. It just ends. And it's like, here's your money, here's your dollars, end. And that's it. You don't get a lot of bang for your buck, dear, you? for that? That's, that's kind of all you get for that. Mm-hmm. So the graphics throughout the game, motorbike section, the, the, those sections are pretty effective, but they're just not very interesting. The stunts, the, the hazards that you get are very samey. They're basically ramps and a few things get anywhere. They're very easy to avoid. There's quite a lot of space in, to play the games. There's a lot of game space to maneuver in, but it actually doesn't help you here because there's not much to do other than it's pretty boring, mundane, wait, And it seems like a long while you're just waiting. Mm. It's not like it's exciting. What I'm describing probably makes it sound more exciting than it actually is. It's just. (laughs) It's just that. It's that. Okay. Um, And even jumping onto the convertible and everything else, because you control everything with the joystick at your own pace. You speed up and slow down the motorbike. You speed up and slow down the jet ski. You press five, jump. Nothing feels that it's that difficult or challenging. In fact, the only real challenge is getting around the interlude tracks because it's so bendy, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's really, it's that stupid control system that I hate. The Flight of Icarus one is really, really stupid as well. The only one I had any time for was because they all kind of look left to right the same. The graphics, there's, there's even like parallax like, scrolling on them and everything else. The background and the details, the, 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 in the, in of themselves, they look quite nice, mm. but they're just yeah. quite boring and they don't quite work and i don't get i don't get how it all ties into anything you kind of earn arbitrary dollars for the stuff that's in there for things but it's it's sort of explained in the instructions but it doesn't feel like you're really getting much out of it you know you play the games and you get to this sort of boring black screen with a few you know you've earned seven hundred dollars like me eh. it's like there's nothing to it mm-hmm. just feels like all of those parts are a second thought compared to the actual gameplay which was I suppose it's all in the graphics. This, they clearly drew it first and then thought about it later. Music from Chris Beck's not his greatest piece of music either. In there, it's all right, but it's nothing amazing. He's done lo- he's done a lot better than that. This just feels a lot like a, a very dull drive from left to right and not very long. And the game's alarmingly short, really. If you go through it, I went through it fairly quickly. Mm. So, did I like it? No, not really. I suppose it, it's a lot of money for what this is. Had any one of those two decent parts, the, the rotor bike bit and the jet bike bit, they could have made that into just those two things. Scrap the Flight of Icarus movie, wrap this into a some kind of two-player race game, because you, you know there are ways you can play this four-player, I guess, but I don't know how that would work. I didn't try it four-player. But I think you could have made something better out of making something better out of those first two films. Scrap the third one altogether and do something with the, even the jet skiing, because you've got that really nice jet ski effect. It really looks the part, that. The way it goes through the water and everything else. But other than a few technical things that make it look quite nice, this I didn't feel like there's a lot to do. And for ten pounds for this, it's a lot of money for not much to do and not much process and thought gone into it. So it kind of lost me at that point. And I was like, looks nice, but there's not much to it. It's a bit vacuous. What about you?
1: Yeah, pretty much the same. This is it's an odd, it's an odd title this. And I don't really I didn't particularly find it very enjoyable to play. Because it seems like it you read it and you like, oh, it's gonna be kind of a multi event game. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, it's kind of. You know, and I thought oh, there'll be these different things to do. It'd be a bit of a weird take on a multi-event It's going to be game. like run the
0: gauntlet, maybe something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like run bit, the gauntlet
1: or anything like that. But but then it isn't because failure at the first one means it's game over. Yeah. So that's that confused me. It's like oh, it's not a multi-event game. You know, multiple players, but not multi you know I'd have mm-hmm. pref- I would have preferred this if it was a multi-event thing and the different things. And it's done some kind of, like, you know, danger freak. It would have been some, like you said, like Run the Gauntlet or that, you know, alternative world games or something or other. It's just different, you know, different. Yeah. Sp- Put a replay things. in it so that you could watch yourself play it back in some way, yeah. like in a movie. And, you you know, you got better scores and that's how you you, you managed it. So, and it was like that, you know, like the epic style. But this gated approach, I, I don't think it works. It doesn't work no. for it. I mean, it, it, as you said, it looks pretty good. Some nice sprites, nice parallax scrolling, good backgrounds, nice sky, nice mountains, all that kind of stuff's really nice. Yep. Apart from the uh, the top down bit, which is yeah. ugly. For, a, for one of those types of things it was really it is ugly I mean
0: did, did we not have this vacuousness with did they do the trolls game the recent realm of the trolls was that one of theirs well it's rainbow art because that has that same sort of problem nice graphics and just but the game was
1: empty of game but then bad cat was the same wasn't it it was a sort of weird multi-event nightmare yeah thing. and
0: it was also really odd
1: yeah but yeah so so like you said nice sprites visuals good sound didn't annoy me some good some okay who's hmm. mixed up so okay it was all that was good but the gameplay was weak and I actually, I actually thought it reminded me of Metro Cross. Yeah, yes, yes, actually. Yeah, very good call. Yeah. When all was said and done. for it went into that weird super sprint knockoff, which was, I don't want I don't, I not entirely short sure to make of all this. I can't say it was something I enjoyed and could see catching on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Filled me with a sudden sense of
1: gloom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it did. So, uh Danger Freak, it just one really, was it? No, no, forty-eight percent, probably about right. It's kind of nice presentation and stuff around the edges, but it's just a crap Metro class. There we go. That's Danger Freak. We've still got a game left, so let's get to it. And this, well, this could be a biggie. It's Hillsfar. Hillsfar, something that would normally be in the strategy section has somehow wound up in the main mag. <laughs> <laughs> and so here we are with Hillsfar from ssi or strategic simulations incorporated um oh. it's got 80 percent and it was costing nine nineteen ninety nine. 1999 graham that's a lot of uh 20 quid teens that is, uh, that is a- it's got a whole whole gaggle of people on it whole host it was designed by chuck i can't believe there's this many people on it this was designed by chuck krogel brett berry and graham bayliss Produced by Westwood Associates, coded by Kirk Fitzgerald and Ethan Grimes. Good old grimy. Uh, graphics by yeah. Joseph Hewitt and Maureen Starkey, and the musician was Paul Mudra. Yeah. Now, I never played any of these SSI games back in the day. Um, I've heard lots of talk about them because they were all disc based and I didn't have a disc drive. Um, so I didn't get to play them. But it's just a bit of a shame because I was, you know, I, I was played I did play Dungeons and Dragons back then. Um, and I always wanted it to have a decent Dungeons and Dragons action or something, you know, mm. kind of strategy game for the C64. And I've really got to play one, so a bit of a shame. Um, and by time probably something did come along, it was out of the, out of, I was out of the scene. Um, anyway, this is one of the advanced D and D games made by SSI. Um, some others that they made were Champions of Crin, Curse of the Azure Bonds, Pool of Radiance. There were others okay. as well. Uh, these were based um well apart from Champion to Kryn, I think Curse of the Azor Bonds, Pool of Radiance, they were based on the Forgotten Realms strand kind of stories. Uh Champion Crine was the Dragonlance world. Um and again, you know, I loved me some Dragonlance. Don't I you know I was eating those books up when I was that age. Not so much the Forgotten Realms ones. I tried a few of them. The yeah. Salvatori, um, <laughs> but I never didn't ever like them i didn't they, they like the spark they like the heart of the dragon novels for me the characters weren't as good um so i probably would have liked to play these at the time um just never got around to it anyway hills far at this point i'm betting you're expecting me to telling you to tell you the narrative the story of the game it's a dungeon to dragons game it's quest there's going to be a story here right um because it's you have bound to have one in it um, but no, th- this is where this game ultimately collapses in the middle, like a terrible pie. There's no overarching <laughs> narrative. There's, there's oh not. Dear. There just did not one. I mean, how do you make a Dungeon, to, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons campaign game with no story? I don't get it. No story to drive you on. This is a game of wandering around some areas and doing some stuff for no reason that I was able to ascertain beyond leveling up your character to go and use in other games. Twenty quid. I, I don't. <sighs> I, I don't get it. Maybe I missed something. Uh, I played this for a good long time. I read around it. I read reviews and things like that, and, and found nothing that hinted at any kind of decent story here. Nothing. So I was like, "This is this is troubling." But but okay. But yeah, you know, it's got eighty percent. So what is here must be good, though. You start the game being able to create a character or import one, and this uses the standard the D- uh, Dungeons and Dragons stats: health, uh, sorry, wisdom, intelligence, all that thing. Look, yada yada, yeah, yeah. s- strength once you've created one you can go off and explore the land um the manual that comes with the game has a map of the world and you can use this when you want to plan where to go because the mapping game where you sort of plot where your next event goes doesn't have anything labeled so you need to use the map um you start at your camp in the top right of the map, and the only destination open to you is Hillsfar itself, which is a big city. Um, so off you set, and the first arcade sequence is entered. This is a left-to-right horse riding event where you can canter at different speeds, press up to jump mm. over obstacles, and pull down to duck under feisty birds. Hitting the various obstacles loses you hit points. You don't know this, though, because there's nothing on screen, there's no UI, to tell you this until you reach your destination, which says you now have 21 hit points. You had 27. Ah. Oh. Off a couple of times. I don't think that's right. They should tell you as you're going along. Anyway, once at Hillsfar, you can enter the town and it goes all a bit Bard's Tale here with a 3D view of the street in the top left, a map of the part of the town you're in, taking up most of the right of the screen. You've got your stats in the bottom left and any people uh, you've managed to sort of add to your party. Uh, And there's a message area in the top right where people will ask questions and offer stuff and you buy stuff and whatever. Up moves you forward, left and right turn you 90 degrees and back does a 180. As you wander about the town, you'll find doors that you can enter. These lead to the next arcade section. Um, You get to wander around a top-down, gauntlet-style area looking for treasure and the exit before the guards catch you and do you damage. Sometimes you will have to pick a lock. In a confusing lock-picking mini-game, I could really not—I couldn't really get my head around. Even though I read the instructions and tried and tried and tried, but I was like, "Don't understand this." <laughs> Once you exit, it's back into the town, and you can visit a guild and be told to do some stuff, or you may get to fight in the arena for extra funds and for the pleasure of the baying crowds. All these have well, the uh, the inside thing. The arena has its own entirely sort of separate sort of fight thing where you can waggle your stick at another thing, and it's whatever. Should none of this really entice you, you can leave the city and visit the Trading Post, or the Rock Quarry, or the Ruins, or some other place that offers little to do besides talk to a trader or wander around another gauntlet-style minigame. Travelling to any of these other places puts you back on your horse for more fun in jumping over logs and ducking under birds. I was quite interested in seeing what this was. I was expecting some kind of Dungeons & Dragons game where I was on a quest to defeat something or other, but no. It's a series of small games held together by some horse riding and the ability to transfer the character into other games. A good D&D quest should pull you in. Have interesting characters, stuff going on. This has none of that. The minigames are not even that interesting. The horse riding is boring, and the gauntlet bit is jerky, pixel, you know, character-sized scrolling and ugly. Even the arena offers very little challenge, and the lock-pick, lockpicking minigame is equally boring. It's interesting this, to read the Zap review of this and see all the reviewers crowing about how brilliant this is. All of them loved it. They're mm. all going on about it. But they're just going, oh, yeah, you get to do this, and you get to do that, and you get to do this. But none of them actually mentioned that the game is pointless Mm. in the extreme. There's nothing to do here, not that I could find. A few months back, we had Times of Law, okay? Another similar sort of thing. Some of we weren't known Law, we looked at, but we did. And in comparison, this is three disks of empty space. Times of Law was, you know, once you got past that open sequence, single-load game with that massive world in, and loads to do, and a huge quest to go along on. Mm. You know, this is a bland, empty, dull game trading on the back of the D D license that underpins it what an odd and bad thing this is 80 percent for essentially what is he what is just what would now be a dlc bit of sort of earn some extra xp to put into the main game which was i think curse of the azor bonds which i think was yeah. the next one long now i didn't i didn't understand this um and it was not at all what i was expecting and the, the mini games themselves the bits that i played they were just rubbish they were just I just didn't like this at oh, all. I was just very, really, really disappointed in this. Massively disappointed. What about you?
0: Ah, uh, goodness me, this. I mean, these are never my cup of tea, these games. I mean, they're not. So this, is, this was going to be a struggle. Now, is, uh, this is all very standard AD&D territory. Territory really. You know, the big city to explore, classic D group arrangement, character size, character forms, character sheets, it's all it's got the tropes all there. The character creator part, nice and simple, the way the game works, I suppose it's true to this kind of thing. It's just a but it's without much of the charm of those kind of things. Mm. Um and I think the, the bigger problem here is that the 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 way that they've made the game actually kind of destroys the imagination required to make these games really work. So it's sort of counterproductive. I mean, I suppose, okay, there's something, the the horse thing was weird. So when I started the game, I, I, you know, created my character, cleric cleric character that I had. And then I horse rode my way to Hillsfar in a really annoying sequence that took ages. And I just kept jumping all the time. I was like, stop jumping. I don't want to jump. That's what it was doing, what (laughs) it it was do. Got to Hillsfar. And then, of course, you get to the bit where you're sort of navigating around the city with an arrow, essentially. And, you know, it's that, I suppose, there's that little tiny 3D window, and it's all very exciting but the problem is it's just a great big map of nothing yeah just wandering around empty streets couldn't find doorways i eventually found my way into a what is the sewers and then i got into this kind of really weird encounter where i was kind of walking this flickery controlled guy around this big empty maze thing apparently transporting to this things i inadvertently walked onto a transport i couldn't see yep I kept getting told that the guards were coming. The guards are coming. The guard, you need to get out. The guards are coming. I'm like, I don't know how I got in, <laughs> so I've got no idea I'm going to get out. I was wandering around, kept finding walking over treasure things. It kept, and it was just utterly devoid of everything that I had experienced. Now I was a, a like you d anD D player in my youth, and um, m- loads of adventures I've been on. Loads of you know, both solo adventures, both adventures in in groups of different people, and 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 I, you come to understand how to play. Dungeon Dragons and, AD, and AD&D, you know, whatever. The, you understand the principles of creating a world of imagination that you then get to explore with the controls of a Dungeon Master. You need that for this to work. Yeah, You need a compelling explanation. The little pamphlet that you get about Hillsfire, isn't it enough? No. so You need a so reason. It need, you, yeah, exactly. You can't just be there's a city to explore, go and explore it, adventure. It's like, oh, that's, hang on, that's not how adventures work. It's a you've heard of this ancient thing in this deep dark pit exactly there's you know and you know you, you gather a few people together in the tavern yep and you decide that you're gonna go on an adventure and then you go and explore stuff and you encounter things and you have to fight them off and then there's a you find the lost amulet of you know do da da and that's something that you know it tells a bit of the story and the good dungeon master takes you on that journey all the way through i mean goodness yep. me if anyone's even questioning that go and what's the entire principally the entire first season of stranger things is built around characters people that play dungeon dragons character and have to fight kind of an upside down version of their own dungeon dragons imagination
1: so it requires that it requires that breadth it don't have to be much it's like oh there's rumors of a of a thing in the local in the nearby woods it's a quest you need a quest it's a quest you need a quest (laughs) you need it needs a quest and you need a
0: A proper guide. It can't just be a, you know, here's a pamphlet going there. You know, they go in that city. There's bound to be stuff to do. I could tell you, I wandered around for ages. There was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. There's not even encounters with people or anything particular. There's nothing. I was just wandering around controlling an arrow in the most boring way possible. And I found that really annoying. When I did get inside the building, such as it was all the sewers or whatever I was in, the controls were flickery. It was lumpy. There was fidgety, shuffly scrolling. It was all completely isolated. The graphics were terrible. There was no real thought into it. What it wasn't was engaging any of my imagination. I'd rather have just had explanations of that. I've gone into sort of you know. I mean, they got this right with a budget game so long ago with with um, with Master of Magic. Did it beggars belief that you wouldn't think that that was the way to make something like this and make it interesting?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So twenty pound for this? Just go and buy Master of Magic because it's better.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's a lot
0: cheaper. Yeah, and you're on a quest for something, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. this it's got all the trimmings and all of the brouhaha of people that play Dungeons dragons but never got it yeah. that's what the problem with this is yeah so i didn't think much to it at all i think it could just stay there as far away from me as possible there's loads of encounters in there i don't doubt somewhere in there but i never found any of them so and that tells me that probably isn't many um i don't know if this is a good one of these my guess is that it's got 80 percent i haven't played enough of these on the c64 to even give it a score of my own but I have played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and that is not how it works. No. So for me, it was absent of the adventure, and, the, and as you say, the quest. Well, if you haven't got a quest and you haven't got an adventure, you've got nothing. You got so nothing. That's what Dungeons and Dragons yeah. is all about. so no,
1: no. Like, like I said on Misfire. the back, on the back that not not many episodes ago, we had Times of Law.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that, completely different realm for this.
1: Yeah, it wipes the floor, wipes the yes, floor it does. with
0: it Does absolutely no.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect from this, but it wasn't that? That's for certain. No. But there we go. That's June done. Half the year yeah. is out of the way. We have played all it the is. games for half of the year. What did we look at today? Well, in this episode, we have looked at Speedball, which we liked. Ooh. Which we liked. Good like. game, good game. Titan, another ball game, but we didn't like that one. No, bad game. Bad
0: game. <laughs> the real Ghostbusters, which IP confused us. Yeah, it's just the real Toastbusters.
1: Yeah. Rubbish. IP, it was IP challenged and perspectively challenged that game. Hard oh, on the iron. Stop uh, doing dotted. Speckling. Oh, that makes me angry, which was surprisingly alright. DC. It was, it was good. Yeah, not bad for budget. Yeah. Uh, Danger freak, which was looked pretty, sounded okay, but Boring. Not, not much of a game there. And Hillsfar, yeah. which was uh, as we said at the start before we actually started this can just head off over the hills and far away <laughs> yeah. as far as we are concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's it. There we go. That's it. That's your month. What we got? Well, we do have, right at the very end, we've got a crapvert to look at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. Now, I've put Mm. this in here because, all right, the Tom and Jerry thing. All the things you could do with a Tom and Jerry game for an advert. <laughs> what have they done? It just says Tom and Jerry, yeah. put it high and low, and then there's the, just their faces looking at each other happy. Their heads, their, their bodiless heads. Just their heads on a black background with a sort of cut-out red bit. and then some. That. Is there text mini- missing minis- out or something? I don't know, with some minuscule screenshots of all the things you could do with a Tom and Jerry advert. Yeah, it's, so
0: <laughs> it's a bit distinct lack of imagination there.
1: Why is he not chasing why is Thomas doing not doing the run and T- Jerry running away or you know uh, all the things or, or I Do you don't know, get I it I think I think I could be wrong, but
0: to me, that looks like they've... Because that looks like the Tom and Jerry heads that appear at the beginning of the cartoon when the cartoon starts. And I wonder if they've just taken a snapshot of that with something and that's what you've got there. Because that looks like it's just a still from the from an, an animated still. So that's a, fra- that's a still of the frame of the first three seconds of the Tom and Jerry cartoon, I think. Mm. Looks alarmingly like that. It is. It does completely... I mean, you would have... You've got Tom and Jerry, for goodness sake. <laughs>
1: that's what I mean. It's the only... <laughs> If it's said really oh, way. Can you put an advert together for, just, for the new Tom and Jerry thing right? Right. Well, I want Tom chasing Jerry, you know, I want some action, I want some the, the, the whole all the when he screams, yeah. everything. It's just no. No. And
0: talk about overcomplicated logos for your own brand. I mean, goodness me. You know, don't make it difficult for yourself by putting I mean, that Magic Bites logo. It's just like it's it's just like two wizardy hands over a shiny sort of ball and it's like just no. Yep. Classic 80s Late, actually, late eighties, stupid logos. There was a bit of a phase of it where people went really elaborate with their logos and stuff like that, and then they realised that they're a printer's nightmare.
1: Yeah, they are. They an and- are a printer's nightmare because they, they don't they don't print very well. So you can't make out those screenshots. Because, he's over, I mean, Jerry's over one of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all Amiga screenshots. Is it an Amiga game, by any chance? Oh, it's a C64 about...
1: game as well. We've got a C64 version. It's coming so, sometime. So you wouldn't
0: know that because there's literally nothing on that, on, about anything. There's no writing about the game, nothing. This has no. been blacked out. It's, it's
1: coming soon. It's issue 53. That's just weird. So we've got it. But I, yeah. I, I wanted but, yeah. to include that because I, it, it, when I looked at it, I was like, all the things you could do. Well, it is, it's like It's like having a Scooby Doo game, and just having a
0: picture of Velma's ear or a jumper, just a, a, a Velma's clothes on a washing line. Well, that's yeah. actually, actually probably would be more interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean the loading screen is that, and it does have the loading screen's actually all right because the loading screen's got kind of got the the picture of them right, and it's underneath and it sort of works. I'm just looking at it right now, and it is those. It is that image of them at the cutout at the beginning, as you said. Yeah, but I thought so. It just, I don't know. I, I was like, that's just. It looks all wrong. Yeah, and Tom and Jerry
0: are for me cartoon royalty yeah exactly no it's like they're royalty it's not like i mean this is like you know okay I'll, I'll let it go with some of these other cartoons you've tried but you can't you don't be messing with tom and jerry and you don't be messing with like there's like i remember that we got they got away with it with wiley kobe like that wasn't so bad roadrunner that
1: was okay yeah But
0: you mess with bugs bunny you mess with daffy duck and you mess with tom and jerry and you're in you're in deep shit with me because they are <laughs> like they're the royalty of cartoons they're up there with the the best cartoons ever created.
1: Yeah, those the early sort of, yes, 1940s, 50s Tom and Jerry yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah, it, obviously,
0: you know, we look through things with a modern lens nowadays, and of, there is a lot of uncomfortable stuff with Tom and Jerry, and not even in the Metro Golden Mill logo, for goodness sake. But, yeah. but taking all that, you know, and just the sheer craziness of some of those early Tom and Jerry cartoons are amazing. That won't be captured in that. And they, that, how is that not captured in that advertisement? Like, <laughs> like, I can see exactly your point. Of all the things you could have t- picked out of Tom and Jerry, of all the moments of Tom and Jerry that are hilarious, that are funny, that you know, look at them looking endearingly at each other is the one thing you probably wouldn't put in a game with on a cover like that if you really want people to buy into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if they had have had the you know, the Looney Tunes logo and what have that, the you know, the thing, the thing coming out, and that in the background properly, I'd have been yeah. all right with that. I'd have gone, okay, that's fair enough. It's the it's yeah, the logo. Exactly. But they haven't. So they're just floating no. it's <laughs> sort of Orange and sort of red and black background. Yeah. And they're
0: such iconic characters. How I mean, how do you get it wrong? Don't know. Well, don't know. But I they did. Know. Just decapitated heads aren't always nice, although that's... <laughs> <laughs> Jer, Jer, bodiless Jerry there is a bit weird
1: it's a bit weird you wouldn't want to wake up and find that in your bed would you <laughs> no you wouldn't no it's a, bit, it's a bit creepy it really is yeah there we go it's Tom and Jerry it's a crap but it really is it's just a disappointing verb yeah. it's like god's sake everything yeah. you could have done all right let's get to the charts down to number five these are from Commodore User again uh, down to number ten um, is World Games mm, okay. uh, down to number nine is the In Crowd a compilation isn't yeah. it yeah uh, up to a new entry at number eight is Ace 2. Okay. That was ages ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it's I, wonder if a it was Ace... I wonder if they don't mean Ace 2088. Mm, you never get it right always, do they? No, no. Up to number seven is Werewolf of London. Okay. A Master Trike. A uh, new entry at number six is League Challenge. Mm, what league? Okay. I don't know. I don't If it's another <laughs> football game, I'm dreading it already. Uh, up to number five is Turbo Turbo Spirit.
0: <laughs> uh, so I can't... Oh for God's sake. So they've, they they've got it wrong. Yeah. They never get this right. How did they get it wrong?
1: <laughs> Turbo Spirit. I'd have played Good Turbo Spirit. Mean. That sounds great. It's a really it's fast game. Turbo Spirit, yeah. <laughs> Terrible game as well. Yeah, goodness. dreadful. Up to number 4 is Super Cycle. Uh. Okay. Down to number 2 is Dragon Ninja. Mm. Up to number 2 is Emily Hughes International Soccer. That's weird. Um well, it's climbing the charts. Where's, Micros- where's Microsoft? Uh, Ma- Micropro. What do you call it? Yeah, it was
0: Micro Soccer.
1: I reckon the 15 quid price tag did that. Yeah, could have done. Could have done. Mm, and still yeah. reigning at number one is Robocop. Mm. Also in the charts at number 11, Joe Blade 2. Vec at number 12. Ah, <laughs> The Double at number 13. Still loading. Still loading. <laughs> New entry at number 14 is Advanced Pinball Sim. Oh, no. Codemasters uh, Operation Wolf at fifteen. Okay, um, Football Manager two. Here it is. <laughs> Who, who's this? Um, at seventeen, he's Ghostbusters from Master Circle. Who's Master Circle? <laughs> I don't know. Surely that is that not Mastertronic? Surely Master Circle that can't be a thing. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's Mastertronic. Mastertronic yes. released a cover, but it's not. It's Ma- it's- who, put Master <laughs> who put Master Circle? <laughs> who put Master Circle in there? They've got Mastertronic further up. I know. Oh, oh my God, I love these charts. Uh, 18 is Gunboat. Um oh, 19 is Afterburner. Yeah. And finally, in at number 20, oh, down dance number 20 is Pro Ski Simulator. <laughs> <laughs> Master Circle and Master Turbo Circle. Spirit. Stupid idiots. Honestly. <laughs> So yeah, so next next couple of weeks we will have July. It's another every every episode every month now is two weeks. What mm-hmm. have we got coming up? We've got loads of Amiga games here, just list and list. And then there's re-releases. We've got Circus Attraction. Okay, another circus game. Another Great. one. Uh, the Duel Test Drive Two. Mm,
0: never played that in '64. I don't think. I don't remember.
1: No Gilbert Escape from Drill.
0: Oh no, that's Gilbert. Gilbert in it. Huh. Yeah, God, that g- game was crap. <laughs> Grand Monster Slam. Oh, no. What's the weird name for the creatures in that camp? What the they call them? I've got a really weird name. we will come across it next time.
1: I can't remember. Uh, Halls of Montezuma. Okay. Uh, I think that's one. Uh, the longest title ever, Jack Nicklaus's greatest 18 holes of major championship golf. Although in here it says major championship gold. Oh, God, they're so stupid. <laughs> Zap and things are all <laughs> bad at each other. Uh, Cockatony Wilf is that really old?
0: A, that, yeah, it is. It's um it must be a re re issue. We've well, we'll never looked at
1: it, so I guess we'll be looking at it.
0: Yeah. Uh Navy moves. Oh dear. It's good music in Navy moves, though. Durant tell music, it's good. Uh, okay. Overrun. Um okay. Uh Phobia. It's a shoot em up. It's um what's his not it? Tony Crowther, isn't it? Um Tony Crowther Shoot Em Up. That'd be rock hard.
1: I mean, yeah, probably. Uh Project Firestart. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am as well. I've heard someone say that it's like one of the earliest sort of um survival horror games.
0: Yeah, and it's also
1: got a vibe of this kind of another world type vibe. Yeah. Uh, oh, very filmic. Yeah. Quite looking forward to that one. I think I think the uh, strategy section is back to the Storm Across Europe, so I think that's a strategy game. Uh,
0: yeah. Stormlord. Okay, that's um, Rav Checo, isn't it?
1: I think so, yeah. So it's going to be another one of those flick screen, very pretty, rock hard. Yeah.
0: Good, really good music in Stormlord
1: <laughs> I think from so, the Maniacs. Yeah. Uh, street cred boxing. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> it doesn't. I think that's it. That's it. That's all we've got. Okay. Wow, okay. That's it. That's your next two weeks. So we'll see what those okay. lot turn out like. What have we had good this hmm. month? Forgotten Worlds was uncontrollable. There was nothing... The Muncher won it last week. That was it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... It's not been a great month, June. Yeah.
1: I suppose the Muncher, Speedball and Octoplex. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the Muncher. <laughs> God's sake. A game based on a 10 pence pack of chewy sweets yeah. but it was alright
1: but it was alright at least
0: in there you know but they're getting few and far between but you've got speedball in there I suppose and that was pretty good And so,
1: yeah yeah Yeah, speedball was good speedball best yeah. game of the month by, by a long way yeah yeah it is there we go alright you got anything
0: more you wish to add no I mean we've seen June off now now it's almost getting towards the the latter half of the yeah. 1989. Let's see if you know, there's a few big games yet to come out. Let's see what they're like. There's System 3. i got a few. I was looking at the... By the way, the the issue of Zap is weird. Which one? 51? F- the, the, yeah, the issue, the issue 51 of Zap is a bit weird. Why is that? Um, just when you get a chance, and this is, again, applies to people who listen to this, go and look at some of the language that's in it, some of the tonality of the language in it, some of the get your tips out for the lads kind of language. Oh, I saw that, yeah. It's a it's some really and it's it's all all the way through, it's all gone a bit laddy. Um it's I don't know if that's a very uh, you know, heading into the nineties, aren't we? So you know, laddy mags are sat to sort of lad mags and all that. But it's there's an oh, yeah. there's a hints of it sort of spilling into this and it's it's very uncomfortable reading. Um so mm. just when you get to those parts in the magazine, you're looking at it going, Oh no, that's just don't don't write that. No, and it, you know, and get your tips out for the lads is that kind. And
1: of... And I saw that cause that picture. I was like, because he sat there isn't really, he? He's got some girl on his lap or something, has not he?
0: Yeah, it's it's just all all very awkward. And there's the, even the, this is one of the reviews in there. Look at the review of particularly look at the review of Stormlord and read that, and you'll you'll start to cringe when you read it, really, because it, yeah, because it's cringy. You read it, and you're like, <laughs> oh, it's basically because it's got sort of well endowed female fairy characters in the
1: backgrounds. They make um, quite a lot of that. Any game so, containing nude women gets my vote. Yeah, so that's what oh, I mean, it's go. all going to be laddie. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's kind of all the way through the mag. So it's a little bit like, Ugh. and there's a really funny bit where they, they've reimagined um, the Compunet bit because it was too much about demos. Compunet was too much about demos. We're going to talk about apps. We're going to talk about really cool things. It's the most Boring section <laughs> in the magazine, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, and the demo section—that's the most interesting bit. Yeah, it's quite funny. So,
1: but yeah, I mean, this was the point, isn't it? Where I mean, they booted out the—I mean, 50, fifty. We haven't really mentioned it or anything, but this is where they booted the, the Katie. Yeah, and completely and, different team of reviewers and, and, and Math. I think was it Math? Math Evans. They just booted yeah. them, didn't they? Got rid of them. Yeah, they've got,
0: got rid of them all. They've got new ones in, and it's just there's a weird vibe to the magazine. It's you can start to see it's sort of taking a bit of a weird turn.
1: I think it wasn't long after here. Yeah, I think I was about, fifty. like I said, 52, 53, where I stopped buying it. I think I'd just tuned yeah. out of C64 by this point. So, But yeah. we will see when we discuss it next week. But there you go. Um, uh, six months still to go. Um, right. On that note, <laughs> uh, I have been Adrian Mills.
0: <laughs> and I have been Graeme Ruddings.
1: And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past. uh, And we are looking for some kind of quest in Hillsfar. (laughs) Something. (laughs) Something to do. Something to make us want to play this damn thing because there's naff all around. (laughs) And we will see you again next week.
0: Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast.